Retro Hangover is supported via Patreon by listeners like you. We'd especially like to thank patrons Lyle McCarns, Ashton Ruby, Randall Quiggle, Tony G, Thunderdome Gaming Society, Katie Quigg, Paul Romalo, Raging Demon, JC, Megan Caruso, Mast Keaton, Andrew Liguori, Retro Overdrive, Ozzy Garcia, The Retro Vixen, Adam from The Good, The Bad, and The Backlog, Keith Gasper, Disky Mera, GC Freak 898 The Saturnian, and Dave Jackson. Your continued engagement and generous donations are deeply appreciated. Open your ears and crack some beers. You are listening to the most recent episode of Retro Hangover. Classic gamers, welcome to the podcast where we are googling golden geese, gaggling, gagging grannies. This is Retro Hangover. I am your co-host Chris Copeland with special guest Keith Gasper of Main Quest Podcast, and as always, your host Shane, the man with the golden dick Man with the golden dick dragon. I feel like that's in in the echelons of dick dragon monikers. I feel like that one is somewhere near the top. I'm I'm all about that one. It's a double O dick dragon. It's like t-shirt material. I feel like. Ooh. Also, <laughs> what gagging grannies? I didn't need <laughs> yes. that in my life today. What the what the fuck, man? <laughs> hey, man! Don't kink shame Grammys. I mean, you know, they got to got something going on for them at the home. Yeah, yeah, definitely at the home. You know, sometimes it can be that friend down the hallway or the nurse that's about to go to prison. That's two entirely different <laughs> kinds of gagging, I feel like. Be nice to your uh, elder citizens and gag them if it turns them on. I mean, report people who do bad things to them. Consent <laughs> is important. That just reminds me of that one community. What the hell is that place called? You probably know this, like further south here in Florida, where it's just like an old people community that's just rampant with syphilis. Uh, I just call it a Florida retirement home. I mean, that's yeah, probably fair. Yeah. <laughs> no, there's like an actual an entire community. There was like news stories done about it where it's just like the old people. They're just the olds. They're just bombing around in their golf carts, just fucking everyone. And they're just like, we don't care. We're old. Yeah. Why would you? And there's just like STIs as far as the eye can see. I'm swimming in herpes. My face is just a sore open with pus, but it just looks <laughs> I'm coming all the time. Wow. How do we recover from this at this point? We're talking about Goldeneye today, everybody. <laughs> Keith's here. I just had like the image of a bad garbage pail kids card. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Scratch and sniff. Please. No. <laughs> Esther estrogen or something like that. I, I don't know. <laughs> Whoa. Hey guys, what's up? Hey, what's going on, dude? Not much. Glad to have you back on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me back. I'm actually glad uh, I got to hear you perform one of the go-to outer space dick dragon screams because the last time <laughs> I was on, you were like very polite and you're like, ah, oh, Shane Kosky, dick dragon, whatever. Like you were in that whole, oh, yeah. in that whole that was- quiet mode the last time I was on. 
Was I doing an NPR thing? Yeah, that was the NPR phase, probably. Oh, or was I just, I I don't know. It was a weird time back then. It was a Christmas episode. So we were trying to bring some joy. We were trying some different things, you know, trying to evolve as a group. And then our fan base, (laughs) as they are wont to do, told us that that shit sucks. And they just want us to make the same album 10 more times. So here we are. Fuck yeah. yeah we're just a bunch of Neanderthals. We, we, we know what we want. We're very simple people. <laughs> Give us screech. <laughs> it's iconic, like a Ubisoft hat. Exactly. But less expensive. Yes. Unless you're a patron, in which case, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so today we are talking about GoldenEye, which is a game for the N64. Sure is. Which I'm sure a lot of you know about. So it'd be interesting. Never heard of it. I know. I know. Yeah, some of you may have never heard of it in that case. Well, I don't know why you're here, but I'm happy you are. <laughs> They're just curious, you know, or, they are curious. or maybe now. Now I can't get this fucking grandma thing out of my head. All I can think of is like curious golden grandma? eye also sounds like something that could be the result of being at one of those communities for too long. Like, I don't. Ah, God, you've ruined everything, Chris. Thank you. I'm trying to stop gagging on my own laughs. You could possibly go into one of those retirement homes and get an odd job. Ooh, that is very true. (laughs) Who throws a shoe? (laughs) Honestly. But as we are want to do, as Shane already made the reference to, so I'm coming in late on this. I had to preempt it. We'd like to talk about the games we have been playing before we get into the game du jour. Keith, you are our illustrious guest here today. So what have you been playing, dude? So I've kind of been like in a old school RPG, JRPG kick. JRPG, RPG. I use the term. I intermingle them. But I'm playing Live Alive Mm. and I'm not playing the remake that came out last month. I'm actually playing the Super Famicom fan translation and I've been having a pretty good time with it uh, up until I left the first village that I was in because the random encounters in this game are unacceptable. Mm. (laughs) There's just so many like my best example. And this was kind of uh, where I dropped it a few days ago was I was in a battle had just gotten out of it and i had moved my party on the world map like one single pixel (laughs) and it kicked me right back into another battle finished that one and then the same thing happened again maybe that was just like a really bad dose of rng or something it was not it has never been that egregious since then but outside of just that one moment it's i mean you can't really walk more than a few paces without getting hit with an enemy encounter it's it's pretty bad. This sounds like my experience with Lunar so far. Yeah, and I mean, play, yeah. I played Dragon Quest V prior to this. That has uh, pretty bad enemy encounters as well. Not as bad as this, though. Uh, that was at least tolerable. I will say at least the battles are fun in Live Alive. Uh, it's kind of like a half turn-based, half tactic type of approach to it. So you are fighting on like a, a checkerboard and you're really just kind of seeing in what patterns the enemy is attacking and just kind of trying to avoid that and memorize those patterns and and so forth you know I'm, I'm really enjoying it i did play the demo that came out for the remake last month and i just can't get down with the art style which is why mm, i was like really? well i want to go back and play the original because i know i'll at least appreciate the art style a little bit more the remake is from what i've heard pretty faithful to the original so i feel like i could not go wrong there going back to the Super Famicom version, though. I feel like the remake probably has some quality of life stuff in it, like not having terrible RNG when it comes to random encounters. I heard it didn't even have random encounters. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, does it do like the 
overworld map like what's the thing i'm trying to think of here chrono trigger does chrono yeah. trigger do that yeah mm. like that one of the members in our discord was commenting about it after you said you know like oh the the random encounters suck mm. they're like oh it's like chrono trigger I'm like oh yeah it, i mean that would be an improvement at least in my opinion for sure could be yeah 100 yeah. percent I've never been, you know, shy about the fact that I fucking hate random encounters mm. by and large. I think it's a terrible mechanic anyway, but I think they're fine. It's just like when you're when your dungeon master just says you walk into a forest. Oh, there's goblins. Roll for what is it? Initiate initiative. Yeah. Roll for initiative. That's it. Yeah. No, it's not <laughs> like <laughs> it's not like that. It's it's like feels like that. No, it doesn't because this is Okay. <laughs> If all I want to do is get to the next thing, the fucking MacGuffin that I want, that every game has, they're just like, go get the six shards of derpader so that you can save the world. And I need to go find the next shard. And all I'm doing the whole time is taking like five steps and then being interrupted while I'm trying to explore something. That's not fun. That's just aggravating. I think it's fine. That's why I like having the stuff on the overworld map, because it's like, okay, you know what? If I choose to encounter this, then I will do that. Otherwise, stay out of my way. Also related, but tangentially kind of it's live alive. Have I been thinking this in my head wrong the whole time? Because I thought it was live a live live alive. OK, well, there you go. I learned something today. If you want to say live a live, you're also not wrong. Yeah. No, <laughs> no. English language, everybody. There can only be one answer. <laughs> if you. Yeah. In the Japanese phonetical system, it's ribe a ribe. So. Live a life. Okay. I don't know if you're anything like me, Shane, but when I am playing a, a JRPG that has random encounters in it, are you one to go through every single battle or will you just eventually run from them? No, I, yeah, I'll, I'll do every single one because then I feel like I have to. Yeah. I'm the like, same and, way. And I think yeah. Chris has pointed this out too. Even when I've been playing Lunar, he's like, you know, you could just run. I'm like, that's yeah, it's not the point. Like, I'm here now. So now I have to do it. I mean, it's the easiest way to get, you know, sidestep grinding if there is any type of grinding or at least make it less painful. Yeah. But and I'm playing another game as well. I'm replaying Celeste. I played this mm. on PC in 2018 when it first came out. And then there was a sale on the PS5. So I bought it for the PS5 replaying it. And I decided that I wanted to do a 100 percent run. Because I decided that life was not hard enough for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but to be fair, the vanilla game is actually it's difficult, but pretty fair in opinion. In my opinion, it doesn't take very long to get through. But unlocking those B sides, basically harder variations of the level in which you collect the B side cassette tape in those I have been doing in bite sized chunks because they are just incredibly, incredibly difficult. Mm. I think I'm on like the third B-side stage right now for the Celestial Resort, and it is kicking my ass. Absolutely dominating me. Yeah, I don't know. Do you and call it daddy? <laughs> I do call it daddy, yes. Also, one thing, too, that I, I found out playing Celeste is that if you really want to find out what your D-pad is made out of, play Celeste, because <laughs> I found out that the dual sense has an awful D-pad. <laughs> It's so mm. bad. That's not encouraging. It is absolutely maddening. <laughs> I fucking hate it. And I originally played this game on because, uh, again, I was playing on PC. So I was playing it on a Xbox One controller originally. You know, if I had to compare the two, I was a much better D-pad. I, I was not finding myself as pissed off as I am now. 
<laughs> That's always interesting to me because like I I don't have an Xbox One or whatever. Like 360 is the latest Microsoft thing that I have as far as consoles go. And so like I have a wired 360 controller that I use with my PC and I would never in a million years use the D-pad on that fucking thing. So like mm. that difference to me is interesting that they managed to improve it that much yeah especially comparatively to the playstation although i don't know i had started playing celeste also a little while back and then i never i kind of dropped off of it i should probably pick it back up again but speaking of games you need to pick up again shane Mm, what have you been playing you know actually i've been playing a a varied assortment of things lately fallout 76 has definitely taken up a lot of my time now i've fallen deep into that hole thanks largely in part to my friends who convinced me to pick it up and play with them. I am pleased to say that that game actually is pretty good now. Much like No Man's Sky, it was a total shit show in the beginning, and um, they've managed to turn that around quite a bit. So I'm actually really enjoying it. It is definitely scratching that sort of like open world scavenging exploration kind of itch. So so that's nice. I picked up a couple of bundles off Fanatical. Uh, over the last couple of weeks for super cheap. And so I've tried out a few of those games. There's one called Beholgar, which is kind of like a, it's a 2D Metroidvania-ish kind of game where you play as like this Conan the Barbarian looking dude. Apparently it's only like five or six hours long. So it's not like a huge ask. And if my playtime is any indication, that means I'm about halfway through it right now. I have thoughts that I'm probably going to put into an RFR. At some point Hmm. in the near future, suffice to say, I think it's a pretty like middle of the road attempt at a Metroidvania. I think it has it has glimmers of of hope. And then there are some things that are just like supremely frustrating about it because I feel like they like missed the mark by like just this much. Actually, not since playing Elden Ring have I played a game where I was like swearing at my Steam Deck as much as I have been playing this game, just dying like eight times in a row to a stupid fucking jumping puzzle. Got to plug that Steam Deck too. <laughs> I, dude, that thing, I love that thing, man. Like, no, no, no. What do the, the kids say these days? Something about a cap? No cap. No cap. No cap, for real, for real. For real, for real. For real, for real. Yeah. Now that thing is is pretty great, though. Um, I'm getting a lot of use out of that. Actually, it's it's kind of supplanted my Switch at this point. I think. But anyway, yeah, so I've been trying to plug away at that. Uh, let's see. What else have I been doing? I need to get back to finishing up Hellpoint because Randall got that for me as a gift a while back and I need to wrap it up because it's a pretty decent souls like. Yeah, I don't know. Just like some other random stuff. Oh, I jumped back into Vampire Survivors, too, because there's yet another update to that. That game is like crack, but <laughs> been enjoying trying to unlock more achievements and, and stuff in that one. That's always a nice one to just like plop down for 30 minutes and do a run and feel like you've accomplished something. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure there are others. I played today's game du jour on my PC. <laughs> That's probably going to end up happening on stream. Nice. Because I can play it in HD widescreen with mouse and keyboard. Mm. Shocker. It's better that way. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that in a moment. Did not expect mm. that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So, so Chris, what, what have you been up to lately? You know, I really haven't had a lot of time to game lately. I somehow have found some ways to cram in some gaming time. Mm. So at work, when I'm supposed to be watching people take exams, I am watching people take exams. Navy, don't at me. Don't well, don't fire me more specifically. 
But like I've been able to get my PSP in there and play a little bit of Final Fantasy Tactics War of the Lions. Nice. So I've been slowly making my way through that. I've been kind of just on and off playing that now for like the past six months or so and just not making any real progress and just grinding out job levels and levels and everything like that just because that's what I find fun. It's just I don't know. It's weird. I'm like, oh, you can continue on with the story. Nah, I want like super ninjas. Okay. Uh, so I'll just spend like 20 hours trying to get a ninja, even though like the game is only supposed to be like 25 hours long because I'm neurotic. Now, uh, another game that I busted out recently and played a little bit of that I found fun was Nex Machina for PC. It's a housemark game and uh, it's a dual stick well, twin stick shooter mm. where it has elements of it's, it's a lot like Robotron, actually. Uh, except, you know, very much modernized. You have to make your way around a map saving humans and you get additional points for that. So it has that arcade feel to it. And uh, in order to make a pass level, you can kill. You have to kill all the enemies that are on the level. So it's it's very arcadey. You can't have the option of not saving all the humans on a level is because the main point is to kill all the enemies and move on. But you pick up a, like power ups to yourself, like you get a shield or a spread shot. You can get an alternate weapon that causes massive amount of damages to enemies and helps clear things out. Uh, you get a dash attack or a dash movement to help you get through various sorts of, uh, you know, projectiles or beams or whatever the case might be. It's a lot of fun. I'm sure it's on other systems. It has to be if it's on PC just because it's a twin stick shooter. Yeah, I was just looking it up. Yeah, it's available on PlayStation also. So, yeah, mm. I would imagine. I think Sony owns Housemark now, don't they? Something like that. Yeah. As soon as you said Next Machina, I'm like, why does that sound familiar? And I played Returnal, which is the only other Housemark game that I that I've played. Mm -hmm. And I've been meaning to play more of their games uh, because they do have a very certain style mm -hmm. uh, to their game. Very stylistic. Yeah, it's very similar to that that Defender clone or a Defender homage, I should say, that came out on the PS4 very early. I can't remember the name of it now. Nano something, I think. I might be wrong on that, too, but it's very similar to that. It's just a twin stick shooter as opposed to a horizontal shooter. A lot of fun there. And just very quickly, uh, I wrapped up Six Engine, which was a game mm. uh, more of a, a concept game made by William Cage, who we interviewed a couple episodes ago. And I'll say this again. I've said this before. If you like Final Fantasy VI and you like the character development and kind of the backstory to some of these characters, it's a real joy. It's a real delight. I mean, honestly, it's it's clearly fan fiction, but I, I think that it's creative enough and it's enjoyable enough that any fan of Final Fantasy VI will get a kick out of it. You just have to go to the website and contact him and to get a code to play it. And that's over at Squire Games. So if you're interested in that, just go give it a try. I did enjoy it. Being honest, be aware it is a browser game. And hooking up your controller to the browser can be a kind of a pain in the ass. Mm. And the keyboard controls aren't necessarily intuitive. So just be aware of that. You're more playing it for uh, the experience that you get with the backstories providing. And uh, it is his music and the music that he does provide in the game is, is very good as well. So I'd recommend checking that out. That's interesting. I, I didn't have any issue using my controller at all. Huh? Yeah, it just worked. I was using Firefox, by the way. That could be it. Oh, I mean, that could be it. I don't know. I use I use Brave, which is Chrome based. So that okay. might have been it. I don't know. Yeah, Firefox. It's it's great until it's not. I don't know why I still use it. I should probably use Chrome at this point. I use it at work anyway, and I have all my shit on there. Oh, well, yeah. Google knows everything about you anyway. So yeah, right. What's the point? <laughs> Even though when I have a like a incognito browser, it still knows. Mm. It still knows what I spank it to and it sends. It sends material that is right my alley. Bringing it all back around to those gagging grannies. Yeah, speaking of spying on people, we have a spy game 
for all of you. And that's called GoldenEye 007. Shane, out of the two of us, probably has a much more extensive history on this. I know he feels much more positively about just, well, in terms of memories, at least. We'll get into yeah, the no, actual. It's fine. I'm getting ready to be attacked by both of you motherfuckers. So let's, <laughs> no, let's just go. Let's do this. In that case, I don't think we, I can think of someone better to give you a brief history mm. on GoldenEye than Shane. So Shane. Yes. How about you give us a brief history on GoldenEye 007? The year was 1994. Thanks to a wildly successful reboot of a certain primates franchise in Donkey Kong Country, British developer Rare solidified their place amongst the cream of the gaming industry crop. This was, by all accounts, a much-needed win for Rare, as their prior efforts had been largely hit or miss. With this newfound prestige and the backing of none other than Nintendo, the team was beginning to see more opportunities and creative autonomy. Shortly after the release of their hit Super Nintendo DK title and the Killer Instinct arcade game, Nintendo and Rare commenced talks regarding the development of a licensed game based on the long-running and well-regarded James Bond franchise. To be more precise, they were keenly interested in producing a tie-in experience to the upcoming film GoldenEye. Since the Super Nintendo was still on vogue, GoldenEye was originally planned to be a 2D platformer, similar to DKC. However, Martin Hollis, a programmer on Killer Instinct, proposed that they instead try to make the game in three dimensions for the highly anticipated but as of yet unreleased next generation console, codenamed Ultra 64. With this change in direction, Rare could not rely on their experience with Donkey Kong and would instead need to seek new inspiration. Some titles that Rare have cited as direct influences on GoldenEye's gameplay and design include Sega's Virtua Cop, id Software's Doom, and Nintendo's very own Mario 64. These influences can be seen in the game's reloading mechanic, locational damage and accompanying unique animations, and reticle aiming system from Virtua Cop, the multiple scenario-based objectives from Mario, and, of course, the first-person perspective from Doom. The team would also go the extra mile and visit the set from the film to gather inspiration and keep the game as faithful as possible to the source material. GoldenEye 007 would see release on August 25th, 1997 a full year and a half after the film of the same name hit theaters. A bit later than Rare had hoped, perhaps, but the game's eventual release did line up fairly well with the premiere of Pierce Brosnan's next outing as 007, Tomorrow Never Dies, which helped prop the game up in terms of publicity. While most gaming media outlets at the time had understandably low expectations for this movie tie-in product, they quickly changed their tune once they actually had it in their hands. With an aggregate score of 96 on Metacritic, it's more than safe to say that the game was incredibly well received, making it one of the best reviewed games of all time. 
In terms of sales, GoldenEye was able to move over 7 million copies, the third best-selling game on the N64, behind only Super Mario 64 and Mario Kart 64. While many critics and gamers would praise the single-player campaign mode, it was more heralded and quickly more renowned for its multiplayer shenanigans. It also garnered praise for what was, at the time, innovative controls for a console-based first-person shooter. Today, many people continue to ask for a remaster. And no, we don't count GoldenEye Reloaded, hoping to recapture the fun that the original game provided 25 years ago. Due to the nightmare web that is licensing, the chances of a true remaster being released seem slim at best. But what we can say is that GoldenEye provided hours upon hours of fun for millions of gamers and their friends, and a legacy for the console first-person shooter that very few other games can claim to match. And that is your brief history of GoldenEye 007. Thank you, Shane, for that brief history. Now, one of the things when I was doing some research on this and what was mentioned in the brief history here is really how influential when you think about, you know, the where first person shooters ended up going, because I think a lot of first person shooters ended up borrowing a lot of things from GoldenEye moving forward, specifically on consoles. How influential Virtua Cop was. I never even thought about that. Yeah. Like that to me is wild. To the point, I, I, I didn't even know this, actually, but in kind of looking some stuff up for this episode, the development of this game was interesting because it took several different forms before they kind of landed on what we have today. Of course, we pointed out in the brief history that it briefly began as perhaps a 2D platformer, um, at least in, in theory. But they also, in between like that and then going full FPS, it was going to be an on-rails shooter. Right. Just like Virtua Cop. And then they kind of were, during development, they were kind of just kind of like tinkering around with it, being like, well, what if we just let the player move around? And suddenly they realized it was way more fun that way. So <laughs> this was also kind of the rare was literally becoming the ace in the hole for Nintendo as well. This was basically their their proof of concept to be like, hey, we can make some really good games for you guys. And Rare, uh, this wasn't obviously Rare's first game for Nintendo. They were developing stuff for the NES back in like 87 mm -hmm. or something like that. So they had been around. And when all the third parties kind of jumped ship to like PlayStation, Rare just really, really stepped it up for Nintendo here. And it's just, it's crazy to, I, I knew that doing research and stuff that this was supposed to be on rails, which you can kind of see some of that still baked into the game a little bit. Mm -hmm. There's some of the levels where you can just kind of coast through and the way that enemies are lined up and the way they, they funnel you from, you know, point A to point B. I think it's the one level specifically where you have to take a photo of the satellite. I don't know what level that's called. It's in the first or second row the bunker or something like that. I think so. You could tell yeah. like, that's really that because it's all funneled like you're pretty much going on one straight line the entire time walking up going into an area going up the steps going around it could easily be a rail shooter yeah and there are a couple of like 
branching hallways in there, but mm-hmm. every every single time, never go left. Yeah. In that level. Never go left. Exactly. Because it's always a dead end every single fucking time. So yeah, it's it's essentially it's just one long line through that entire level. Mm-hmm. So you could you could definitely see that the DNA is there. I think that what can't be understated, and I know this doesn't really fit in any of the subjects that we have here, is kind of what I've alluded to earlier, is pretty much this changed the way that developers looked at first person shooters on consoles moving forward in terms of, you know, death animations, in terms of how to control your character, in terms of how to swap out weapons, all stuff like that, which a lot of that was already kind of present in Turok for the most part. Mm -hmm. But this just this just made it more realized and 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 more better, specifically when it came to, you know, human animations that I mean, Turok was dinosaurs for the most part. You had humans, but it wasn't as fluid. So uh, considering all the DNA that was there, it's, it's rather incredible when you look at how many games tie into a lot of where the modern gaming market is in terms of design, just just because everyone's just at this point borrowed from everything in one way or another, unless you're just truly stuck in an old school mentality. So, yeah, hats off to Goldeneye in that in that department. I think it's amazing. Well, and I think a, the interesting thing about that, too, is that the relatively small team that they had working on this title the majority of them had little to no game dev experience as it turns out that really could have gone one of two ways either it would have been a complete dumpster fire but fortunately what that sort of led to with goldeneye is that it was a little bit of a haphazard development cycle in a lot of ways and they were kind of throwing things against the wall and seeing what was going to work but that sort of evolved into something that actually ended up feeling a little bit more like a natural experience because like the layouts of the levels with maybe that you know corridor one notwithstanding felt a little more realistic in that you know there were like rooms or buildings that just meant nothing there was nothing in them but realistically, those sorts of things would exist, you know, and so it's it wasn't a like a very focused game dev mentality of like everything in this level has to have a purpose. It, it actually sort of provided this more like sense of place to a lot of things hmm. that I think helped with, you know, sort of the immersion factor in the game, which, you know, obviously we'll get into here in a little bit. Yeah. Well, at the time, at least. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Let's bring this on back here. I know we've kind of been bleeding over to gameplay and we have our own section where we do talk about that. Uh, But before we get to that, we talk about our own personal experiences with the game and just kind of talking with Shane and Keith before that, even though I have personal experiences, I don't think it's as in depth as either of them two. So I'll kick this one off and just say, uh, yeah, I had this game when I was a kid, because I if you had an N64 and you didn't have this fucking game, you were a loser. I'm sorry. (laughs) You can really chalk it up to that. Like everyone had this, everyone played it. And if you didn't have it, someone brought it over to your house to play because at least after this game came out, there was at least one round of multiplayer played every single weekend when you went over to a friend's house. You might not play it the entire time, but for a good couple years, it would be, you know, whatever that map slappers, no odd jobs and everyone that's, that's how you played. And it would go like that even well into like the PS to GameCube Xbox era, people were still doing it just because it became such a party game. And I was no exception to that. Very much caught up in that. We'd always go over to a friend's house and they'd have their N64 hooked up and we'd always play the multiplayer there. And I I think my experience is just very uh, prototypical of anyone who had an N64 at the time. There's 
I wasn't particularly good at it. I didn't I never beat the game when I was a kid. I always got stuck in the stupid fucking jungle level. Fuck that level. <laughs> Other than that, yeah, I mean, it was just a mostly a multiplayer affair for me. And I, I mean, when I say I never beat the game, I didn't even beat on agent. Y'all, I was terrible at this, but I still had a good time. And uh, that's pretty much me. So, Shane, yes. what was your personal experience as a kid? The, the level you were looking for was complex, by the way. OK, I like yeah. that level. Yeah, I do. That's I mean, every, that was I think that's probably the one that everybody played the most. The layout of it is is pretty good. Plus, you get like all those little hidden like vents that you can sneak through and shit. Like, uh, oh, yeah, that's a good one. But yeah, no odd jobs, slappers only or man with the golden gun. That's a fun one too. Yep. one shot, one kill. Those are always a good time. Yeah. <laughs> As you might be able to surmise, I had a lot of personal experience with this game, man. I played the shit out of some golden eye. That's all, that's all I got to say. Like, I, I remember seeing this, I think, first at a friend's house, which is was a fairly common experience back in the day. and. um seeing it like one time i was just like i need this game i I need to get this so you know eventually i got it from my parents probably christmas if i had to guess and yeah man i played so much of goldeneye like we played a lot of multiplayer of course like anytime we had a sleepover or whatever this always was present in some fashion for quite a while but also i played a, a ton of the campaign to the point where it's interesting because I still have my original copy uh, because I still have my N64, my original N64. I popped that thing in to play through this again, you know, prior to recording this episode. I was pleasantly surprised to find that my original save file is still there. Wow. Yeah, it is like fully complete. <laughs> it is double O agent. All levels finished, cheat codes unlocked, fucking everything. On one hand, I was like, I was like, all right, like way to go past me. (laughs) But then also simultaneously, I was like, how the fuck did I do that? (laughs) Because like going back and playing this game now, I'm looking at it and I'm like, I don't I don't know how I managed any of that because I was lucky to get through this on agent difficulty this time around. I'm going to chalk it up to having a lot of free time and better reflexes probably i don't know um Mm. or maybe a higher tolerance for frustration that might be it too old man strength suffice to say yeah i i i loved this game i i put so many hours into goldeneye so it's it's been a little bit difficult for me i think to be like completely objective for the rest of this episode but i'm going to try for you and by you, I mean the listeners. Fuck you two, but I'm gonna I'm doing it for them. <laughs> so Keith, one of the reasons we brought you on is because you said that this game was an inspiration for your own show. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure that your your personal attachment to this game, personal experiences for it are are gonna be interesting. So what do you got for us? Yeah, I mean, without Goldeneye, I wouldn't be sitting here talking. I wouldn't even know you guys even existed. He's like, I would not be alive here today, (laughs) not for Pierce Brosnan. I wouldn't know like any of our friends or any of that without this game, uh, because I replayed it in 2015 or 2016 or something like that. And by that time, it had already been, you know, 15 years or something since I I last played it. And I don't want to spoil any of my thoughts here, but let's just say uh, 
it made me wonder how wrong I was about some other games I grew up playing. <laughs> so that's kind of where the inspiration came from. But um, yeah, I mean, I grew up with GoldenEye too. Just like Chris said, I mean, uh, what kid with an N64 didn't have this game? I did have some friends that didn't have an N64, but we, we still brought them over. We also did some weird trading stuff with the game, mm. which I kind of like Shane. I also have the original cartridge. I don't know if it's mine because neither of us wrote our names on it. Mm. I don't even know if it was actually my original cartridge or not. But yeah, I mean, either way, I, I played the crap out of the single player stuff uh, when I wasn't around my friends. And the only reason why you really want to play the single player is to unlock all the stuff for multiplayer. So I was kind of miserable as a kid just playing the single player by myself <laughs> uh, because I just wanted to play it with my friends all the time. But it was every time you got further and further, uh, you could go over to your friend's house and be like, I just unlocked double, I was going to say double fisted. Yes. <laughs> dual, <laughs> I just unlocked dual rockets. And so Hell you yeah. just run around this arena with two rocket launchers just blowing each other up. With grannies. Because honestly, like the single player wasn't really where it was at back in the day. Everybody just wanted to plug in all their controllers and, you know, only one of us was able to enjoy the rumble pack. <laughs> if you were lucky, you at least had one and then just played the shit out of out of the multiplayer. So for the most part, if you had friends back then, GoldenEye was a great fucking time. I did not play it into the 2000s or anything like Chris may have had because my friend circle basically uh, ditched GoldenEye for Super Smash Brothers in 1999. Makes sense. We yeah. never really looked back after that. So <laughs> boo. And so you found new friends, right? Is what you're saying. <laughs> you could say that friend groups did change a little bit, but <laughs> he went with Mario Kart. I'm just going to assume it's because of Smash Brothers. <laughs> Smash Brothers is great, y'all. Yeah, sure. It's, that's, that's a game. Can't wait to do an episode of it to see how happy Shane will be. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> the weird thing, though, I, I do want to bring up is that I had no idea what GoldenEye was when I got this game. I was not familiar with the movie. I wasn't familiar with any of the bomb movies. In fact, to this day, I think I've only seen two of them. Mm. One of them being Goldeneye. And I didn't even see that until like 2000 or 2001 or something like that. Mm. I actually think that's a great segue into what we think of this game's plot and the writing that's in that. Because this is based off a movie. How faithful is it? Shane, mm. what's your thoughts? On the plot of GoldenEye 007. <laughs> that was weird. I know. <laughs> it's a fucking GoldenEye 007. Was that your Pierce Brosnan impression? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is it's it? like Sean Connery when he's like a few bottles in. and <laughs> It's like when he's sober because he's always drunk. So when he talks normal, you know. Yeah, that's true. It's because he's fucked up. Zardoz. <laughs> I am. So, yeah, well, also true. I mean, I don't I don't honestly, I don't really have a lot to say about it because it is for the most part just a one to one to the movie, um, which I think is fine. You know, I, I think especially I mean, it probably meant less to someone like Keith, who just was like, what is a golden eye? <laughs> but if you were at least, you know, if you had seen the movie and you were aware of the plot and everything and then going and playing the game, um, it was cool to see the movie's plot basically recreated in the game but in such a way that you know obviously it's interactive so it allows you to 
be a part of the plot of the movie. You are 007. And so mm. from that point of view, I think they did well enough. I mean, there's literally I think most, if not all of the dialogue is just straight line rips from the movie itself. And by dialogue, I do not mean spoken. There's no it's None, just text. No spoken so, yeah. So there's that. I mean. I will say, as far as the writing is concerned, I really do appreciate the mission briefings that you get at the beginning of each single player level. Never read those as a kid. Never read them now. (laughs) I don't think anyone did. I don't think as a kid, no one read those. I 100% did. Although, but again, (laughs) I was that kid. Like I've mentioned before that my pre-phone days, my bathroom reading material was my game instruction booklets. So take that for whatever you whatever you will. But they were sticky. I definitely read those. I'm just going to skip right over that. (laughs) And I actually really appreciated how they wrote them, because, again, if you knew the movie and you knew the actors and actresses that played those parts um, like, you know, M and Q and, and Moneypenny, they wrote them in such a way that it was very evocative of how those actors delivered their lines. Like you could hear them in your head. Like so they did a really good job of nailing how each of those characters were portrayed in the movie which I think was cool. And then, of course, Money Penny is just fucking useless because like every one of her like M and Q are always just like, all right, this is like what's going on. And here's your mission. And like Q's like, here's some gadgets for you because that's what I do. And I'm awesome. And try not to break my shit again. And then Money Penny is constantly just like, oh, so you you found another woman, did you? Well, I bet she's not as good as me, but that's fine. Like, you know, do save her, I guess, if that's what you want to do. The whole game, that's that's all of her lines. So she's completely pointless. But other than that, yeah, I thought I thought they did a pretty good job with it. What about you, Keith? Yeah, I don't really have a dog in this race because nice. I mean, it's there. You know, it's pretty faithful <laughs> to the movie as far as I know, uh, from what I can remember of the movie. I do know there are a few levels in the game that they they are not scenes in the movie, but I don't it's not distracting. You know, if you had never seen the movie, you would probably never know anyway. Mm, Right. I think it's pretty it's pretty cohesive overall. Yeah, I I, it's fine. Again, I it's all about the multiplayer. I'm not fucking reading documents, you know, (laughs) fucking. It's a dossier, Keith. (laughs) A dossier. Dossier. Also, I before before you jump in, Chris, there was other one thing I wanted to add because I just thought of it. That in addition to that, there is actually some dynamic dialogue in the game, and I didn't know this like up until just like yesterday (laughs) because I experienced it while playing through the rest of this game. Because there's one level, I mean, not the only one, but there was one level that I died on several times. It's actually, I think, one of the ones that's not part of the movie. It's towards the end of the game where you start off in the elevator with, um, what's her name? Natalia, I think. Natalia. Yeah. And you're just like, all right, hang here. I'm going to make sure the coast is clear and I'll come back and get you and you can do your computer hacking shit. And that level, if you take a bunch of damage clearing the dudes and those turrets i fucking hate the turrets getting through that when you come back to her you'll be like all right coast is clear and she'll say something to the effect of like oh you're hurt james but if you manage to do really well and you clear everything out and take minimal to no damage she'll say something completely different she'll just be like you are magnificent Mm -hmm. which 
again, maybe not like a huge deal or whatever, but I thought it was kind of a nice touch. Yeah. Yeah. There was a couple times like that, too, like in Statue Park. Fuck that level um, where uh, you uh, get to the Statue of Lenin. And if you have the gun out, he'll tell you to put the gun away. But if you turn mm-hmm. around, you already have the gun down. He's like, oh, it looks like MI6 is their budget cuts are terrible because you don't even show up armed anymore. So, yeah, <laughs> there's there's little bits like that. They're that they're that pretty creative. They're not rampant they're not like all over the game but there are points where you do see that it is a nice touch either way yeah wait they told you to put the gun down yeah yeah oh boy (laughs) (laughs) what did that not happen for you (laughs) i'll get into that in gameplay i have some serious fucking problems with that level we'll get there that that did not happen for me oh (laughs) so yeah we'll get to that we will get to that in terms of like my thoughts on the plot writing I'm, I'm kind of with keith i don't care much for bond i think the only reason when i did play it originally back in 97 somehow i had watched goldeneye for whatever reason goldeneye was somehow more in pop culture than bond movies were for me up to that point like i never seen tomorrow another dies i think the only bond movie i've seen is is golden goldeneye and whatever the first movie the most recent bond was in uh that's that's about it I don't know. I just don't care for Bond. It's not my deal. I think they're kind of boring and like they're boring and over the top at the same time. Like it's I don't know. They're just not my jam. I don't care for Bond at all. That being said, like, yeah, this game mirrors the plot of Bond. If you know the movie, if you don't know the movie, you're not going to have any real fucking clue what's going on, because, again, most people aren't reading those documents or taking all the time to read that much, you know, word space right before a level. You're like, okay, what do I need to do? And that's what you're looking for. And then once you get into the level, pretty much any storytelling relies on the player to kind of have some idea what's going on in the movie itself. Mm -hmm. So if you have no idea what happened in Goldeneye, you're going to be lost for a lot of this game, which is kind of bad storytelling because this game did come out a year and a half after the movie. And a lot of people, which means you had plenty of time to see it, Chris. That's that's what we're getting at. (laughs) Sure. On Netflix in 1997. That was great. Rented from Blockbuster like everyone else. (laughs) That is true. I will say this game probably did get a lot of people to watch Goldeneye. I almost guarantee it. Like a lot of people Mm. probably went back to go see it at their Blockbuster and then probably went to go see Tomorrow Never Dies because of it as well. Well, Tomorrow Never Dies, I think, came out a few months after this. So Mm -hmm. it probably did put butts in seats. Yeah, definitely. But I think that's that's a flaw of its writing, though, is that it relies on you to know most of the plot of the original game. So there's a lot of things that you do that you don't understand why you're doing or you don't care that you're doing. Uh, Like when you run into certain characters and they say some things like, oh, wow, that's cool. That's a throwback to the movie. Like, uh, what's his face? It says, I am invincible. I'm like, okay, that's weird. I am invincible. Yes, but you're not going to give a shit about that if you haven't seen the movie. That's true. It's just. Just the reality of it. And you can say that's a lot of the same for licensed games. So, I mean, it is a knock, but it's not too big of a knock. But I think other games that uh, had basic, like very bare bones storytelling, I think did a little bit better because a lot of those genres didn't really lend itself to that. Uh, But you also do see that in first person shooters, because at this time, I mean, Half-Life was still a year away. So actually having any sort of real exposition or storytelling in a first person shooter, they hadn't truly figure that out yet so for a 1997 game in terms of trying to tell a story and trying to tell a plot it's admirable i mean it's certainly trying to tell a story better than doom did or duke nukem did that's for sure true but it's still a far far cry off no pun intended from where Ah. the genre would end up going yeah that's actually a good point now that you bring it up because yeah i mean there's it's kind of 
their onus to kind of make you invested in the story if it's such a, a close tie-in with with a licensed property. Mm-hmm. I do want to say that I don't have a lot of familiarity with the the boomer shooters of the time. Uh, so prior to actually replaying this for the show and knowing that I had like this huge blind spot in my history there, I actually played a lot of the games that came out prior to this. So I replayed stuff like Doom and uh, Quake and Strife, which was kind of the only game that really tried to implement a story. Yeah, it was a little mixture of like a little bit of like RPG storytelling uh, than it was just you're roaming around a map and people are saying things at you <laughs> like Golden Eye <laughs> does. So that's the only one that I found really did that fairly well. I played Star Wars Dark Forces as well. That didn't do a very good job of of the storytelling. That was the only other console first person shooter that I, that I had played that came out, I think, just a year prior to this. Mm-hmm. Um, the storytelling was not great there either. I also don't care about Star Wars. So, you know, Fair. take that with a grain of salt. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, for better or worse, I, I think you make a totally valid point, Chris, that I think it does lean very heavily on the player kind of already knowing the story of GoldenEye, or at least having some idea of how it plays out. I will say, again, a lot of that is supplemented by those mission briefings that apparently neither one of you gave a shit about. Um, (laughs) They do fill you in on the ongoing plot of the game and the movie, as well as give you details on like kind of how the next mission is going to play out and some things that you can expect. And so they are useful, but they're so long. Yeah, it's flavor text. Am I the only person that played magic? Like <laughs> you guys got to have an appreciation for like the flavor text that gets added to things. Not when it's, it's mandatory world building. Yeah, sure. I just want to go sh- shooty, shooty, poo, pew, pew on the Russians. <laughs> That's all I wanted to. <laughs> that is another fantastic segue because we're about to talk about what we're going to spend probably a ton of time on, which is the gameplay. Where Keith we is doing the, your job for you. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Where we do the pew pew shooty shooty stuff. I love I love this, Keith. You need to be on more often. These are making segues so so seamless. Uh so how about you kick off this one for us, Keith? Because you haven't started off a section for us. So oh boy. Here we go. <sighs> Buckle Where up. Do I start. Uh Shane, you can take your headphones off if you want. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. I'm gonna go get a drink. I'll be back. <laughs> um so first of all, my, my first real complaint is that the game defaults to inverted aim, mm-hmm. otherwise known mm-hmm. as reverse or upright, according to the game. This rare is British, so I don't know. That must <laughs> just be some weird British terminology that they're using there. But Bottoms up. Um, upright is the actual way you want to play a video game, the, the regular way that um, I feel like a, I have a feeling this game is responsible for a lot of people nowadays who are just used to inverted aim, which is like, I, I don't understand. I don't understand that. I don't get it. Do you guys play inverted aim? I used to. No, no. Yeah. Because when you when you're driving a car and you need to make a right hand turn, you do not turn the fucking wheel to the left. And just you just don't I do that. I mean, maybe not the best comparison, considering the Listen. inversion is vertical, <laughs> but yeah, sure. I mean, I'm not defending inverted controls, by the way. I think they're garbage, but 
if you spend a lot of time in aviation around airplanes, like I did for the, the first part of my career, then inverted is more natural. That That's is the only time it makes yes. sense, though, 100%. is if you are pl- like yeah. afterburner. Sure. OK, invert the controls. That totally makes sense. But when you're trying to zoom in with a fucking assault rifle, that's totally different. And it catches me even as someone who's played this game a lot. It still catches me off guard and I have but, to like adjust for it. Yeah, but you can swap it. You can. Well, yeah, you can. you can. Yeah, swap you can. It. Yeah. It's just annoying that that is the default. Yeah. But I suppose, again, rare is British, so they probably thought it was the best. Hmm. <laughs> So since we're talking about the controls, uh, I apologize to all your British listeners out there. Uh, I don't. <laughs> I do. I do want to be fair to this game a little bit. So they do offer up a couple different c- control schemes, right? I stuck to the default, which they call Honey. I don't know why either. I read that they are all um, references to Bond movies or Bond, the Bond girls characters or something like that. Hmm. beyond me i have no idea but uh so anyway so when i typically play these games for uh, your show or f- playing them on my show i stick to the default controls because i feel like that's what the developer intended I, I feel like that's kind of like what they thought was going to be the best for the average person right right uh, um so going through those options I didn't, you know, again, I just looked these up, but looking at whatever the solitaire option was, was it seemed like it probably would have been the better option for me, or at least it looks like it um, emulates almost closer to what we know for first person shooter controls. Mm -hmm. But again, I I stuck with the default. And so this is okay. Oh, boy. All right. (laughs) The controls are a huge problem. Really? I don't say (laughs) it's asking a lot of you and a lot of that is of course due to just the n64 controller kind of being dog shit unless it was (laughs) purposely being used for a first party developed game so you have you have the analog stick you have the one analog stick in the center and it only moves you across the x-axis right you can just move back and forth and you can just spin 360 degrees wherever you're standing but you can't strafe you can't strafe with that if you want to strafe you got to press left and right on the c buttons or either or mm-hmm. yep and then when it comes to aiming don't like fuck it like you better just have the fucking auto aim on i would never suggest anybody play this game with auto aim off yeah, <laughs> ever, ever. <laughs> yeah 100 agree with that the only way the auto aim is not going to work in your benefit is if you're playing on the higher difficulties because you do need to land headshots on motherfuckers mm. to get anywhere in the game but the only way to even do that is to hold the l or r shoulder buttons and then use the analog stick to line up your shot and then use z to fire so you're doing like four different things just to fire your gun but while you're doing this that also means that you are planted there and you cannot move while you're shooting which leaves you pretty much open to anybody else that might be shooting at you at the same time okay i will say on that point that this is something I actually completely just left my brain for whatever, 15 years. And then when I was playing it again this time around, I, I, I've remembered it three quarters of the way through the game because of course, but one of the nice things with that 
I'm not saying it's a solution, but especially in that jungle level that Chris hated so much. Fuck that level. One of the things that helps is that you're right. You are totally a planted. You're a sitting duck when you're aiming. But you if you have the aim engaged with the shoulder button, if you go left or right with the analog stick, you pop out like you peek around a corner. So like if you are tactical about it, you can stand behind like a tree or like the corner of a wall, hit the aim button and then tap like push over to one side or the other and you will peek around the corner and you can shoot. And that actually gives you cover. That's actually pretty cool. Right. Did not know that. I'm just waiting for this plane to go by. I'm still angry. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it's just me. Maybe I just had a hard time with just the movement using the analog stick because even trying to get behind cover would have just felt really clunky because I either would have overshot the cover or I might have been turned around the wrong way. And then all of a sudden there's an enemy on top of me or turning the corner and also shooting me. I just it, 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 there's something mm, your character moves slow, but also moves like they're on ice. Also, if that makes any sense. Mm. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I'm not done with this aiming, though. Let me go back to the aiming real quick. All right. <laughs> you're just okay. going to rip this aiming to shreds because <laughs> the fucking uh, so. The man, I hate the manual aiming because the reticle, when you're holding the shoulder buttons down and that reticle pops up, it has the worst propensity to center itself. So I always felt myself like found myself constantly wrestling against the reticle because it just wants to do its own thing. And the fucking Nintendo 64 joystick is the shittiest, most finicky piece of fucking shit put on a controller. <laughs> but also like. The aim isn't reliable. The auto aim isn't reliable either, because if you're in a room full of people, it just freaks the fuck out and doesn't know what to do. It is just aiming everywhere. <laughs> it's like it, it fucking sucks. Yeah. But then, yeah. yeah, on top of the movement, like Bond has like just like this like weird glidiness to him where it's like if I if I want to strafe, if I press down the C button just a little bit too long, he's going to go way further than I need him to. See, I didn't feel that. No, I'll, I'll get to that in a second, though, because on the on the aiming topic, first of all, totally with you on the reticle, just kind of showing up wherever the fuck it feels like it, because there were several times where I would be trying to like I, I would be facing in a certain direction, facing enemies, and then I would hit that button to zoom in thinking that I was going to zoom exactly where I was looking. And instead, for some unknown reason, it decided to zoom like way off up into the right corner or something. And then I'd have to like drag that reticle all the way back. And then by that time, I'm already getting shot in the face. So, you know, it's kind of pointless at that point. But the other thing with the auto aim, it's like it's like this double edged sword, right? Because on one hand, because they're trying to make an FPS work on a console and not only on a console, but on a console with a batshit insane control scheme. In addition to that, they made it very aggressive, right? Like it is aggressively auto aiming all the time. Like you can you can watch it if you sort of move yourself in one direction and there's an enemy that's, you know, off to the side, you will watch your gun just wave over (laughs) to the side of the screen, Mm -hmm. which on one hand is good because it's basically, you know, accommodating for the fact that you're kind of fighting the controls the entire time. And so it's helpful 
But then again, to your point, and this is going to get into some other parts of the gameplay here, which is this game just has a propensity to just throw dudes at you yeah. just constantly from behind. It's just mask off. They're not even trying to hide it that like literal groups of like half a dozen guys will just spawn in a hallway and just keep coming at you over yeah. and over until you finish there, a level. There are those later levels where their idea of difficulty is just constantly responding enemies. Yes. yes, absolutely. And in those scenarios, that is when the auto aim just ends up being probably less helpful because to your point, it's just like, ah, it's a target rich environment. I have like eight guys in front of me. I'm just going to pick one and kind of hope for the best. None of the controls like complement each other. Like all of these mechanics are actively working against one another. I, I will disagree on that on one point. OK, one point I actually really like and I don't think either one of you do, but I actually really like how they implemented the strafing in this game because I actually agree. Okay. That's surprising, but it does take a little getting used to, but that's just a commentary on this entire control scheme anyway. But once you do get used to it, it's strangely intuitive. I'm I'm not going to lie because yes, you are moving around with this one analog stick and it is, it is basically look spring movement. So it's something you'd never want to use in like a PC shooter, right? Like if you were playing quake, look spring is an option. And basically what that means is like you with the mouse, like if you're looking around, you can also basically move your character forward and backward with the mouse. Also, that's dog shit. Don't ever do that. That's what this entire game is because they kind of had to with that one analog stick. And so it does take a little getting used to. But I think it was pretty ingenious with the C buttons, because if you if you get accustomed to it, you can actually get really good at like strafing around corners and like basically doing curves with your movement where you'll be moving to the side with the analog stick and then you're strafing at the same time. And so you're strafing and you can adjust your view with the stick, basically almost kind of like drifting, actually, like in Mario Kart, you're kind of mm. drifting like around corners. And you can if you get really good with that, you, you can actually be pretty effective. Um, not only in dodging enemy fire, but, you know, also kind of traversing the levels. So I got to give them credit there. They really did make do with this control scheme. And for what they had to work with, I actually think they did an all right job. Yeah, I'm just going to try and catch up to what's already been said here uh, and kind of summarize my own thoughts on just mechanics. To the first point, the reticle holding down R to shoot things on the default control setting, complete dog shit. Uh, that reticle aiming system is it's it's crap. Mm. And thankfully, I didn't play this on the higher difficulties because if that's what you have to do and shoot guys in the face in order to get anywhere, I just wouldn't even bother because it's it's not worth it. In my opinion, you actually have to get really used to it to the other points in terms of just the controls in general and using the C sticks to, you know, strafe or what was going on at the analog stick. I, I think that's something. Yeah. When you're playing it now and you're going back to it now with how the control scheme evolved, which I think either really started to mature in either 99 or 2000 with Alien Resurrection is when they had the two analog sticks with the PlayStation to finally get to a point with what we have today. What you look what Rare did with the control scheme, it's actually pretty ingenious. You don't find this on PlayStation with Doom. Uh, that was out at the time or any of the Saturn games. And even when I tried playing Duke Nukem 3D on the Saturn, it was a complete disaster Ugh. because they just hadn't figured this shit out yet. And they didn't really even have the capabilities on that controller 
nor the PlayStation controller on the default. So you look at like the N64 is probably out of those three base controllers, not including DualShock, probably the best controller in order to do anything with the first person shooter in 1997. I know the DualShock was right around the corner, but let's let's be real here. That's that's the best you could have done. And if you plug in a second controller, you do have that option for dual analog control, I think. I don't know if that's yeah. unlocked or if it's on default, but that's something you can do. I know a lot of people didn't. I think a lot of people didn't even know about that either. Yeah, they didn't. I don't think they really look for it because why would you? Now to the auto aim. Yeah, you need to have the auto aim, especially, you know, you don't play with that off. So there's some good and bad about that. Like if you get to a point that you can freely kind of move around with bond and the auto aim is working and you just keep moving forward. And this goes to the enemy point as well. I think it's, I think it's a lot of fun. Like I had more fun with this than probably any other first person shooter I've played for this podcast up until this point when everything is working, like you're moving forward, you're moving fluently, uh, you're shooting dudes down and yeah, it can be a lot of fun. When your auto aim is working. It's when it tries to get more strategic and specific and when your auto aim just for whatever reason decides to stop working when it just worked, that's when you start running into problems, because that's the problem with the auto aim. Yes, it can be overly aggressive, but then sometimes it just checks out for lunch and says, go fuck yourself. <laughs> that's a problem is some inconsistencies. Now, when it comes to the bad guys, I never had an issue when there was like a swarm of bad guys because just hold down the button and I'd shoot. Now, if you took any damage, you would stop doing your auto shoot and you have to re-engage your trigger, which was. Oh, God, that is so frustrating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Holy shit. It's so fucking annoying. Yeah. But more to the point when it comes to these bad guys in most levels where you have infinitely sp- responding bad guys. And first of all, that's not a consistency across all levels. So it doesn't really set an expectation of what you can expect, whether enemies are infinitely spawning or whether or not they have set places, because you have both depending on what level you're in, which also. Yeah. Bullshit. But when they do have infinitely spawning enemies, not only do they continue to spawn, but they continue to spawn behind you. Yep. Not where you can see them behind you and start firing at you from a disadvantage, uh, a point of disadvantageous position. Whatever. I'm trying to use words here. I don't understand because I'm like stupid. The, tr- the train level. Yes. yes. That's, that's a perfect example of that. The train level statue park. Uh, a lot of uh, just a lot of them. They spawn. They always shoot from behind you. And I'm assuming on higher difficulties, they're not as stormtrooper ish with their with their aim. So you're going to get hit a lot more often if you can't see them and you take damage. You only know that they're there when you start hearing the sound, which I thought was fantastic. We'll get to that. But uh, you're not until they start firing at you. But by the time you turn around, because turning around is rather slow, as Keith said, you're already starting to take damage. And if you don't know where body armor is or if body armor is really well located, those bullets cause a lot of damage to you and you're going to be dead fairly quick. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of stuff going on here. That can either make this game extraordinarily fun or extraordinarily frustrating. And sometimes within the course of 30 seconds. And back then, that's fine. In 1997, this is all good. Now, you're like, where the fuck is my Halo? Why can't I put this on like an Xbox controller? Because that's what you're used to. Even going back and adjusting to that mindset, I think is a little bit easier for me just because I think these were the only first person shooters I really played with any extension. Mm. Uh, it's a lot easier for me than even going to a WASD controller, not like modern WASD, but like the fucking uh, Wolfenstein Quake Doom WASD when those things first came out where he had to use not even a WASD. It was the control say, pad. Like arrow keys. Yeah, the arrow keys, not the mouse pad, the, the arrow keys and the space bar and all that shit. Like that's that's harder to go back to than this game. Yeah, I mean, all the bitching is valid. It's just how you apply it. If you put it in context, I don't think it's as bad. But yeah, when you apply it to modern standards, it's going to absolutely frustrate some people. Well, okay, but here's the thing. If you're talking specifically about just the controls, I think I would 
tend to agree with you for sure. I mean, I'm supremely biased in this because I played this to no end. And so go it's for me, it was like riding a bicycle. Like I went back. I haven't even touched this game in at least a decade. And I went back and sat down on my couch and within five minutes of the first level, I was like, I remember everything. I I know how to strafe. I know how to do everything. I'm good to go. Let's do this. That is not going to be a typical experience with someone who hadn't ever played this before or someone who was picking it up back in 1997. So, you know, I have to divorce myself from that. So in that sense, I think you're you're right. The other thing I want to point out, though, because we've been harping a lot on the controls, but not so much on the actual gameplay. Yeah. And that is I feel like I have to give them credit for what they tried to do here. But I feel like in most cases, the moment you step outside of just a very basic run and gun, get from point A to point B, things start to completely fall apart. Yes. When they start to try to do, especially on the harder difficulties, when you have more objectives. And for the record, I actually think that's a cool idea. There's three Mm -hmm. difficulties in the game, right? And so on the first difficulty, most missions are bare bones. The objective is like fucking finish the level and like maybe do one thing. Okay, great. Fine. Super easy. You get more unique objectives as you get into the harder difficulties. I think that's a really cool feature. It really helps with replayability and it truly does actually make the game more difficult, not just in giving the enemies more HP and having them do more damage. Like there's actually mechanical difficulty there, which I think is awesome. However, the way that most of those objectives are actually implemented are total dog shit. Again, we can go back to uh, Statue Park. That is a prime example of this where the objectives are not clear at all. So like you could actually completely miss your first objective, which is talking to the NPC that you're supposed to talk to because he's hiding in a fucking shipping container in the corner of the map somewhere that's behind you. And I accidentally killed him. (laughs) See, There you go. And then, but that's a good point because that happens too. Like you will just straight up shoot a dude or something like, oh my God, I'm, I'm going off on a tangent here. Yeah, but like, I went into that shipping container, turned around. I'm like, oh my God, there's a guy and I fucking <laughs> killed him. Well, or like <laughs> Boris, like towards the end of the game, when you go into the facility and you're supposed to, you know, disable Goldeneye and all that shit and the computer cr- programmer Boris, you, you see him there and he's just like, oh, don't, don't mind me. I just do the computers. And then he pulls a gun on you. So like my first inclination was like, I'm going to cap this motherfucker. So I did. And then the game lets you continue playing. Right. Yep. And you just like go and do your shit. And you're like, all right, things are going great. And then you get back to the door to open it up for Natalia to come through. And she was like a co-worker with Boris, you know, lore of the fucking movie. So like if you killed him. Like 15 minutes after you killed him, you go and you're like trying to progress the level and Natalia shows up and she's just like, I saw what you did on the cameras, James. Fuck you. I'm going to go wait in the car is basically (laughs) what happens. And you fail. You fail the mission. And so you have to start the whole thing over again. Yep. So that's a perfect example of that. But but going back to the statue park thing, because that's the the best example that comes to mind is like not only the NPC thing. But then you have the the meetup with with Janice, who is just 006 Alec and that whole thing of like, you know, put your gun down or whatever. If you're like me as a kid or like most kids, I think 
where you're just like, oh, I'm just watching this dialogue happen. That's cool. And you don't actually put your gun away. You fail the mission and they kill you. Okay, that's another step in that mission where you could just completely fail, like full stop. All right, fine. So you put the gun away. Things continue on. Then you have a timer to get back to this helicopter. And like you get back there, you save Natalia, you get away from it before it explodes. Great. You're supposed to find the black box recorder for this helicopter, (laughs) which is orange, by the way. You would think logically you're like, oh, the helicopter's right here. So obviously this black box should be, I don't know, right fucking here. It's not. And not only is it not, it's in a random location. Oh, it might be. Every si- no, no, every <laughs> time. Well, well, yeah. No, every single time you play that mission, that black box will show up in a random spot on the map. So sometimes, and I had this happen, it will show up literally right at the bottom of the hill that you're standing on. It's like right there. Other times, it'll be halfway across the map in bumfuck Egypt, and you don't know where it is, and you're backtracking with all these assholes with shotguns spawning infinitely behind you. So, okay, you get the black box, and then you come back, and you're like, all right, I'm at the end of the level. This is great. You show up and Natalia, being a fucking liability this entire game, is standing there with a gun to her head. And your first inclination is like, I got to shoot that guy before he shoots her. Because also there's other levels in the game that have hostages that if you don't kill the hostage takers, they just kill them. And you, I don't know, fail the level again with Natalia a bunch. Okay, so you're like, right. This is what I have to do. This is what I have to do. So you go up and shoot the guy and it's like, Ba-na-na-na, you fucking failed. And I'm like, what? Why? You don't even get that, though. You don't even get that. You don't get the it lets you continue and leave the level. And then it's like, yeah, you failed. One objective. You failed. Fuck you. One objective you suck. out of 10 objectives. Yeah. Fuck you. You're the worst double O agent ever. So and terrible. Because you're supposed to just walk up and talk to the NPC or rather let him talk to you. And then you just leave the level. That's what you're supposed to do. But nothing informs you of this. There's like at least half a dozen failure points in just one stage that are so not communicated. The worst part is that there's no checkpoints. No, there's no checkpoints at all. So you have to literally do all of those six objectives over again. Mm -hmm. Now, I mean, for what it's worth, pretty much all of the levels in this game are fairly short. So I guess at least you've got that going for you that, you know, you're not in for another 30 minute level or whatever, but still still gets to the point where you're playing one of these levels, especially Statue Park. Fuck that level. You still have to do those objectives in a certain order and you have to talk to NPCs and you can't advance the text. You have to see it over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. I don't care if it's a five minute level. I'm getting pissed. Like if I have to play that motherfucker four or five times. But that's not just the only level. I think your your point on the objectives is extremely valid. And it's one of my biggest problems with this game is sometimes you can think you do everything right and you fail it. Even the complex, one of my favorite levels, you have to take a picture of a satellite. And this is on the basic agent difficulty. Oh, yeah. What does the fucking satellite look like? Because the graphics are ass. Like, what yeah. is this? <laughs> or how do you how do you take a picture of it? If you don't have a manual, give me don't get me wrong. You have a manual. You can read it. You can do it like Shane did on his toilet. You know how to access your camera and your inventory. But if you don't, you're just pressing a you're not going to cycle to a camera. So you're like, where where is this? Or you just continue through the level. You get to a door because nothing has stopped you before. And you get out. You never took a picture of the satellite. And you're like, because you can't tell what the fucking satellite is. And all of a sudden you get out. And it's like, oh, you failed this objective. I'm like, 
I didn't even see a fucking satellite. I didn't see anything to take a picture of. What do you mean I failed? And it's not just the only example of that. There's other ones, especially in that one level where you have to take like a picture of the map or you have to do some things to certain or hack into certain things like how do you do this or whatever the case might be. Like, Mm -hmm. what exactly does it want me to do to what? Because it's never consistent in how to access things or do things to things or like when you have to disable controls and you walk up and you press B on it because that's the action button. And then you bring in the enemies and it's like, oh, we're going to send people in now. Failed objective, because when you press B on anything that causes you to do the action that you're supposed to do with your objective. But no, in this case, you have to shoot it. Do you know what level I'm talking about? Where like the snow and shit where the with the comms tower. Yeah, the surface that I was going to bring. That was going to be one of my examples. Well, go for it. I want to steal your thunder because you haven't been able to talk too much because you've been screaming. (laughs) I mean, essentially, I'm going to just echo everything you guys have been saying. I mean, a lot of these missions are incredibly archaic. It's they're fucking stupid. In theory, yes, it's a really great idea that they implemented here, but the execution is just not very good. The key items even being on an entire separate screen, the pause menu is fucking tedious uh, because half the time you don't even know you have that item yet. You think it's you're going around the level being like, oh, I have to try and find this transmitter or whatever. And like 10 minutes later, you're like, where the fuck is this transmitter? And then you go into your menu and you're like, oh, I've had it since the start of the level for some reason, I guess. So, (laughs) all right. I don't know. Maybe that was in the dossier that I didn't fucking read or something. I don't know. Uh But (laughs) yeah, Q would have told you all about the gadgets he gave you, but you didn't read it. And so it's like stuff like that, where the other problem I had, too, where it's like, yeah. So like the surface level or whatever, if you have to like there's like if you have to put a transmitter on a a comms tower or a, a computer or something like that, you can't pick it back up. They're just like, oh, here's this transmitter. Fuck you. You figure it out. And then you're just like, okay, I guess I put it. There's. 15 computers in this level i guess i'm going to put it on this one and it's like well nope you picked the wrong one you failed the mission it's like well let me just pick it back up why can't i pick it back up and use it someplace else like it's fucking stupid i hate it (laughs) well that surface level too the second one specifically that was another one that i i actually had to look up a walkthrough which i am like embarrassed to even admit given how much experience i have with this stupid fucking game i had to look it up because it's the it's it's the Serbania the second time through where like you have the that red sky and everything's dark as shit. Which also, by the way, like at least half of the levels in this game are so dark, it's impossible to see anything. It's like some real Silent Hill shit. Yeah, exactly. And we'll talk about that in the graphics, but suffice to say it's fucking impossible to see anything. But like that level I was stuck on for at least a good 20, 30 minutes, wandering around trying to figure out why I didn't complete the objective to destroy all of the security cameras. I was like, what the fuck? I've gone to every building on this level. Where is there a security camera? And I looked it up and it was like, even the walkthrough was just like, yeah, there's one camera. It's on the backside of the building in a corner, you know, where a security camera would never be because it looks at fucking nothing. And I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Yes, this was good design. And so like I had to, I finally found it and finished the level, but that's just like one of many examples or like, can we talk about the tank level, please? Yeah, sure. Which one? The the one where you're supposed to use the tank to like the go streets. through the streets. Yeah. yeah. Okay. First of all, just don't just don't use the tank like you'd think you think it's going to be fun because you're like, oh, I get to ride in a tank. That's badass. Except the entire level is designed 
to fuck with the tank. <laughs> so if you just don't use the tank, that that level's like infinitely easier because it's also just like impossible to aim the rockets, the projectiles from the tank because if you use the aiming reticle, the rocket doesn't go where you're aiming because it has an arc. I actually the, the solution to that is I just pressed I just aimed the thing down the entire time so it'd mm-hmm. shoot closer than it would yep. on a default and just went through the level like that. Yeah, and that's kind of what you have to do. But the like the objectives, even the easiest difficulty is just like, you know, minimize, like don't run over civilians. Basically. They run right minimize civilian casualties and they will run. I actually I wish I would have recorded it. I had one I, when I was running through that where I stopped the tank because also, by the way, there are cars in the way. Right. Mm-hmm. So like if you blow up a car to make a path, you would think in a level about a tank you just be like, I'm just going to run over this stuff because I'm, I'm fucking, you know, I'm Gravedigger. I'm going to drive over this. <laughs> and uh, no, because you take damage from the explosion when you drive over a car. Because, of course, why wouldn't you? But anyway, I, I stopped the tank to shoot a car to wait for the explosion animation to finish, which kills the momentum of the level completely, by the way. And the civilian runs in front of my tank and will not leave. He was just sitting there running in a circle in front of my tank. And I'm like, do you want to die? Yeah. And I just I ended up running him over. He does. Like He was the one casualty I think I ended up with. But point being is the entire conceit of that level is like, remember in the movie when James Bond gets in the tank to chase them down in the car? That was cool. You can do that. Don't do that. Just run. Just run. You know, what's funny about all this, Shane, is you said that you were going to be yelling at me and Keith over our opinions on this yeah that's true (laughs) and the thing is it's like i at the end of the day i actually still really have a like a special place for goldeneye it's just there are you guys are not wrong like objectively there's a lot of things from a design perspective in this game that are just infuriating and they haven't aged well and i think a lot of it was like i was a kid and so i that's all i had right so we didn't know any better at the time And to your point, Chris, like there were a lot of things this game did that hadn't been done before. Right. And so that was novel. That was different. And I feel like those things helped to kind of look over, gloss over a lot of maybe the shortcomings that that we have here. But like coming back to it now with 25 years of iteration on on gaming and FPSs. Yeah, there's there's a lot. That you know, there's a lot to left be desired here. I know we've been talking about the gameplay for like an hour. There, <laughs> there is something I want to bring up, and it's actually sure. something Shane brought up earlier. The levels themselves, yes, they they are incredibly atmospheric. They have, yeah, they're very large. They they have places that exist that don't technically need to exist. That's great and all, but I think it's a problem. I, I don't think these levels are that good. It's those missions. And, and your objectives and stuff that kind of makes some of those areas worth it. But I think from a design standpoint, they're incredibly generic. A lot of them are just very wide open, empty spaces. And if they're not at their worst, they are literally just a, a hallway that you walk down. Yeah. And what makes those empty areas even worse is that there's just no there's no really discernible landmarks or anything. So you can never exactly tell where you are because there's no map in this game either no Mm -hmm. 
I just wanted to touch on that. I, I don't know if you guys would agree or disagree. Oh, I, I entirely agree. I would actually say that the levels where it's more open are worse than the ones where it's a narrow hallway that kind of funnels you where it wants to go. The open levels are yes extremely frustrating. And not only is there no map, there's no marker indicator to where you need to go for your next objective. I mean, you can pretty much figure it out, so you don't necessarily need it. And in many ways, I like it more than what was commonly used up to this time, which is find the correct color key card to go in the correct color door Mm -hmm. and just keep on doing that. I think it I think it's a little bit better in terms of creativity and how they approach that, because I think that was way overused by this point. I'm happy that it was left in the past. Yeah. But yes, I think you're right. I think in terms of overall design, even though you you eventually would get it, it is too samey. It is too open and there's not a lot of distinguishing landmarks which actually segues into our next section really well which is how this game looks and it's it's graphical presentation which i think i mean i don't think we're going to spend too long on this just because i hope we're all in agreement. it's mm, uh, maybe we'll start with the <laughs> fanboy here with shane uh, oh okay how do you think this game dude it's an n64 game it's aged like milk man like it's i mean dude okay and you know what's funny is and i i by the way if you're listening to this then fairly soon after if you're listening on release i fully intend to play goldeneye hd on stream i'm gonna do that keyword hd (laughs) The, the funny thing about that though is like even in hd like you can still it actually makes it almost worse in a way because it's like, oh, man, this is all nice and crisp. And then you get an up close shot of like Pierce Brosnan's face and you're like, oh, God, what happened to this man? And it's the, it's that way with all of them. I mean, God, like at the time, again, it was it was it was novel. It was cool. We didn't know any better. OK, no, it, it's what it was. It was the it was peak peak technology at the time. Right. So you're just like, Oh, fucking look. Yeah. That's obviously Pierce Brosnan. That's, that's obviously this other person, blah, blah, blah. Like they actually had their faces mapped onto the character models. Like that was cool. But much like what I've said in the past about other N64 games, another one that is close to my heart, which is gauntlet legends. That one also aged like shit because Everything in there is just mud. Mm. All the textures are mud. This gets worse with this game. There are certain levels where it's fine. And I think you made an excellent point. I think this game is at its best when it's more linear um, for many reasons. But even even in the graphics department for a couple reasons. One is that for the most part, most of the more enclosed spaces are more interesting to look at. There's more going on. They've got more texture work happening. That's cool. Also, again, if you had seen the movie, they did a really great job of recreating these locales. So kudos to them on that one. But outside of that, especially in the outdoor levels, you have a a myriad of issues. One is that this game suffers from a ton of slowdown, especially in outdoor levels. And they were trying to mitigate that with, you know, what Keith mentioned with the, the Silent Hill approach of just being like, you can see 10 feet in front of you. But it doesn't really help. And all that really ends up doing is just making it so that the game still kind of runs at a shitty frame rate. And also you don't see the guy before he starts shooting you, which is fantastic. At least half the levels are pitch black, practically. Um, so that doesn't help either. 
a lot of the outdoor spaces are either just a lot of snow or a lot of dirt. And so you end up with that problem where the graphics are literally, in some cases, mud. Like the jungle one is an excellent example where like it's cool that you're trying to do this like commando predator thing of like trying to sneak through the jungle, which is the appropriate approach to that level, by the way, because if you try to run and gun, you'll just get immediately murdered. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm going on and on just to say that it it has not aged very well at all. (laughs) I'm going to be really quick before I kick it over to Keith here. Uh, When we had Keith on this show last time, it was for Die Hard Arcade. (laughs) Mm. And he said that it made him feel like a wet blanket. We said the graphics didn't age well, but it covered him like a warm blanket. I'm sorry, a warm blanket covered in like a warm blanket. Oh, wow. I was like a wet blanket. I'm like, what is that like? I said, those are two very different things <laughs> covered in like a warm blanket. This is like because this is where I was going with this. This is like if that warm blanket was wet over your face and covered in sticky brush uh, sticker brushes or whatever those sticky things. And, you know, they, when you're running, you get them in your fucking sock and you don't want to take them out because it fucking hurts. And it's all over your face. And it's like, what is this? What is this? That sounds this? rageful. It, yeah. It's really fucking rageful. Shout out to secret levels. <laughs> the draw distance is fucking terrible. And I noticed like it was really the last level was like a really astound out one where you're on the bridge and people are shooting at you can't even fucking see them. It's yes. fucking garbage. Draw distance is shit. Oh, oh, God. OK, I was hoping that wasn't just me. Oh, my God. The turrets. You can't tell what the turrets are. You just see muzzle flash because they're so no. they're so like blended into the environment, not because they don't have a texture model. They do, I guess. But it just blends into the background. It's it's total shit. I hate it. It makes my eyes hurt. The models are laughable when they're macking out at the last scene. It's entirely humorous. It's <laughs> it's just something that uh, it's going to actually tie into my final thoughts of the overall game itself. So I'm not going to continue. I mean, to be fair, though, I mean, I just I just want to throw this out here just to just play fanboy devil's advocate, I guess. Is this a commentary on this game specifically or is it a commentary on the N64 in general. I think it's more this game. Really? Because Mario 64 still looks okay. I think there is a lot that you could say with a lot of games have this problem on the N64, but it's not universal. I think it's a design well, choice. It comes down to color palette. Yeah, I, I agree. A lot of it comes down to that. I agree. But I think it's a color choice that was very common for the time. And when you put it on the N64, it didn't blend well. So when you see more colorful yeah. games on the X64, yeah, they have a lot of soft texture. It does look like I've said this before, like someone smeared Vaseline all over your screen and punched you in the face. <laughs> but for the most part, like you have a lot of colors, it holds up fine. It's when you get to the more darker grays, greens, all that shit like that, that you have the same problems that you do in Goldeneye. Yeah. But there are games that get beyond it and you can get over on it. So it's not really an N64 thing, but it is because developers chose to make a lot of the N64 games like that. OK, I guess that's fair. Sorry, Keith, kicking over to you. Actually going to be surprisingly a little more positive wow i I am going to get some negative stuff out of the way first and as far as the slowdown goes in this game there can be a lot of shootouts and god forbid you accidentally shoot a desk chair or a wooden table and it explodes like an iraqi (laughs) car bomb for some reason and you've got like a room full of enemies it really drops the frame rate it is fucking awful But even as a kid, I actually always kind of thought that this game looked ugly. It's the faces. It is the facial mapping, honestly, because it's just these very blocky models. And you've got like these gigantic polygonal heads and just smack dab in the center of these heads is just like 
this static face. <laughs> it's really fucking weird. It almost seems like the, the face is a little bit too small for the model. Mm-hmm. It's always looked weird to me. I, I feel like the only model they really spent time on was Brosnan's model, which is like weird because you almost never see it. His face is <laughs> ugly, too, in this game. Yeah, well, yeah, I, they're all ugly. Yeah, they're all ugly. I feel like that was probably the most tolerable one. But uh, yeah, maybe. So as far as like, you know, looking at giving a positive spin on this, I do appreciate a lot of the model changes because the further you get into the game, there's wardrobe changes, you know? And yeah. Like I said, even though you don't see Bond's model that often, you know, even his model changes in like the beginning cutscenes or the end cutscenes of of a stage or whatever. I thought that was kind of nice. I also think it's a very, I guess this kind of goes back to the gameplay a little bit too. Very smart of rare to put in like a bullet trail. So you know where you're getting shot from. Yeah. Because, mm-hmm. you know, playing doom or fucking even worse, Wolfenstein 3d. <laughs> it's you are just getting absolutely blanketed with bullets and you have no idea where they're coming from. At least in this, you know, there's the bullet trail and you can kind of see like, oh, somebody's shooting from behind me. I need to turn around or there's somebody down the hallway that's that's shooting at me. So I thought that was kind of nice as far as, I guess, how ugly this game is. And we didn't talk about multiplayer in the gameplay or anything like that. I don't know if we're going to touch. No, we didn't. Did you guys play multiplayer? Oh, yeah. Played a ton of it. Yeah. For for this for this recording, no, not, no, not, not for, for this, this recording. No. Probably why I just completely skipped over it in in my rageful oh. ranting. Although we probably should mention it because that's like a huge part of this. I did jump into multiplayer for this with my brother. I mean, we can talk about that later if you want. But I think one of the things that actually benefits the multiplayer the most is the graphics, because there's not a lot going on with the graphics, and so when you think about how rare had to split this into four quadrants on one single CRT back in the day. I mean, there was no slowdown. Not that I remember back then when I was playing with a bunch of kids. Mm, uh, I remember that differently. But oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. But now playing with, you know, having played with my brother, I didn't really notice anything. Granted, it was just the two of us, but I think the graphics there benefit multiplayer just a little bit more than it does in the, in the single player campaign. Yeah. I think that's fair. I mean, so to to be fair, I think the only times you really saw a lot of slowdown in multiplayer was with like the particle effects, like to your point about the explosions. Proximity so, mines. Right, if if you were running around with dual rocket launchers, then <laughs> you were probably going to have a bad time as far as frame rate is concerned. But no, you do bring up a good point though about it in, in like the wardrobe changes and stuff. I thought that that was definitely a, a nice touch and the varied amounts of enemies that are appropriate for the level that you're in and that sort of a thing. Like, I, I do think that they put a lot of effort into that. I will say that I, I do really appreciate some of the enemy faces because they were just like <laughs> not actors, you know, just like randos. And some of them are just hilariously bad. <laughs> well, then you add on top of like, they're really like awkward movements sometimes. Like they're so hilariously exaggerated. Like this is a pretty violent game. Mm. But the way the AI is programmed to react is it's cartoony. It's like, the, like, yeah, at one point I like walked into a room and there was just a soldier just standing there and suddenly just with no provocation at all, other than just me walking through the door, the soldier took like the most cartoonish like hop 
oh, like yeah. one foot to their left. <laughs> the side hop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was just so like it was so awkward. It's so stupid. He died pretty good, though. So I mean, <laughs> I mean, they do have some cool idol animations, though. I don't know if you guys ever noticed that, like in some of the levels, like in the jungle or some of those places, like if you sit there and you watch, like sometimes they'll like take their gun and like look up and around and like do this, like they're like swinging their arm around like they're swatting at a fly or something. Yeah, it's cool stuff like that. I will say animation wise for 97, I think it was to, to, to kind of cap off some positive things about the graphics here, like what we talked about, virtual cop, like the effects, the animation effects of where they got hit with the weapon. That was good for a 1997 time. Like if we shot someone in the leg, they would have a leg animation or the body, body, head, head. You know, that's not something you would commonly see back then with a lot of games, for instance, specifically shooters. And on that point, I don't mean to interrupt, but yeah. just to kind of expand on that a little bit. Again, with a little bit of positivity, that is really cool, too, because things like the guns are actual objects that exist like in in the world. So, like, yeah, you can shoot a gun out of a dude's hands and not only that, but there'll be a bullet like bullet hole decal on the gun model where you shot it. Yeah. And like you said, locational damage is pretty neat, too, where like if you shoot a guy in the leg, like he'll start like limping along and stuff like that. Which, again, was something that we hadn't really seen no. much of up until that point. That second point you brought up there, I know it kind of goes back to the bullet trail, which we were talking about, but the environmental damage, mm-hmm. which a lot of people, when they think about environmental damage for a first person shooter, the first thing they go to is Red Faction. Yeah, I was impressed by the amount of bullet holes you would see in locations where there are previous firefights and how long the game just had that still in there as part of the environment. That's not something they had to do. And the fact that they kept that in there. Uh, or the fact that you could destroy something in the level would hold that, even though these levels, most of these levels where you have environmental damage are relatively small. Mm-hmm. The fact that they would try and keep track of that and do that is impressive for the time, no doubt. And I think one of the last things that I want to just touch on, perhaps before we move on, and this kind of straddles the line between gameplay and graphics, I think. But even though it is definitely a little clunky to get to your items from the pause menu, um, because it is. The pause menu itself is fucking fantastic. It's pretty fucking dope. I just I just want to point that out. The level of immersion that you get from that, where they very purposefully did this, like they could have very easily just made it a stock bog standard menu, but they didn't. Anytime you hit pause, you, your character looks down and your wrist comes up and then the it becomes your 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 bond watch. That's your pause menu. And that's just super cool. And not only that, but the UI, the way that they designed it with like your health and armor meters being on like the the curvature of your watch on either side. And then that being reflected on the, the heads up display, like when you get hit, you'll see those meters flash briefly so you can kind of see where you're at as far as like health and armor is concerned. Also a very nice touch. Mm-hmm. I just want to give them credit where it's due. Shifting back to something you said earlier, Keith, you were talking about the multiplayer. Now, yeah, we, we kind of skipped over that for the gameplay entirely. But what kind of fucking podcast would we be if we just <laughs> didn't talk about the multiplayer in a GoldenEye title? Uh, <laughs> I didn't play the multiplayer and getting ready for this. And personally, just I believe extremely brief. I think if you're playing multiplayer nowadays, you're completely playing out of nostalgia. And that's pretty much all I'm going to say. But Keith, what what what's your thoughts on the multiplayer? I'll try and keep it as brief as i can so yeah i i did play the multiplayer with my brother i i want to we still actually had a ton of fun with it but i think that's due to two factors which i think only one of which objectively applies which is just the amount of 
options you have when it comes to setting up a match. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have everything unlocked for the multiplayer because, again, that's all you really want to play the single player for, honestly, is just unlocking all of those options. Uh, So we used some cheats and pretty much unlocked everything. I mean, there's just the options are pretty basic, but the way you can mix and match them and, and kind of make some creative modes is it's not as robust as maybe something like Halo or something like that. But for 1997, where you can just set up something like where, again, where you can just dual wield rocket launchers or use only like proximity mines or the, you know, again, the infamous slappers mode, which I feel like should just be called choppers because it's more of like a a karate chop than a slap <laughs> slapper sounds funnier though it does true true <laughs> choppers sounds mildly racist like um, <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say like a, a syndicated cable television show but yeah, sure. yeah. we go with that too i guess chopped chopped was the ah. was the show you're thinking of probably no, i was thinking of american choppers but yeah or chop Lester. Well, speaking of mildly racist, (laughs) as for as for the maps themselves, I actually they're essentially just shorter versions of the single player campaign maps. Uh, They're not all included. I think there's only like six multiplayer maps, if I remember right. I believe there's a 10 or 11, actually. Oh, shit. Okay. Total. But yeah, the arenas are actually very, very well designed, I think, considering how quickly yeah. Rare slapped this thing together and shoved it out the door, you know? Mm. Yeah, that's that's what's wild about it is like the multiplayer was totally an afterthought. Like they did it in like the last six weeks of development. And actually, the devs didn't even tell Nintendo or Rare that they were doing it either. They just mm. did it. And they just were like, hey, it's done now. It's it's going in the game. And they're like, oh, oh OK, that's nuts. And it turned out to be like the best part of it. Yeah, I mean, I think the when I think of multiplayer maps and, I, you know, I get, I'm going to kind of sound a little nostalgic here, but it's like, yeah, GoldenEye nailed it. I mean, when you think of just an open arena map uh, in a first person shooter, GoldenEye has it. I mean, I wish you were able to jump. That was the only thing that was kind of like, uh, well, whatever. But it works within its limitations. And then I, I think the other reason why we enjoyed the multiplayer so much uh, is just how, again, fucking terrible the controls are <laughs> because there's just so many situations <laughs> where we would accidentally stumble upon each other, panic. But then because the controls are so bad, uh, just on your screen, you would just see this <laughs> incredibly polygonal model just awkwardly shuffle backwards into a wall and then like <laughs> just quickly slide along it until they ran into a door and then ran backwards down the hall. Like it's it's terrible, but it was hilarious. Yeah, it, it was it was complete chaos. That's, yeah. that's I think that's part of why it was so enjoyable is the this might have been the only reason that the controls were a good thing is because it contributed to four player multiplayer, especially just being complete and utter chaos most of the time. I think the only real mark against the multiplayer is eventually it doesn't become fun. And I noticed this even as a kid. Because once you memorize the map, mm. all you're really doing is going to where the best weapon drop is. And then that's all it becomes. It, it is just a race to the best weapon and you are just absolutely dominating everybody. Yep. Race to get the Kevlar and a rocket launcher and then exactly just own face. Yeah, no, that's a good point. No, I, I, I will. Of course, I 100% agree with you on pretty much all of those points. And I, I think it, it does 
bear noting that given the context of 1997, most multiplayer like this was just straight up deathmatch, which in and of itself was already like an innovation with like Doom, right? Like that was huge is one of the reasons that Doom was so big. But this kind of took that and iterated on that in a really great way in that not only are the majority, I will say some of those maps are maybe not fantastic, but the vast majority of the multiplayer maps are laid out extremely well. Um, You do have multiple avenues, you have hidden passageways, things like that, which are really cool. But you have that core deathmatch, and then they put on top of that all of those extra features that, you know, Keith was talking about, which again, I didn't really have that before. So not only were you just doing straight up death matches, but now you could have some control over how those played out. You could specify rules where you could be like, all right, you know, we're going to do, you know, no guns, you know, karate chop slapping only. We're going to turn on big head cheat mode. So everybody looks ridiculous and, you know, whatever. And we're going to stick with this particular map or what have you. And that was that level of agency that, you know, players didn't really have over that stuff up until that point. And so I do think that that is a huge reason why it was um, as popular as it was. Now, going back to it now, I mean, a lot of those features are still a lot of fun. I mean, you still have a blast. I remember and I think, Chris, you might have been there. I think you were there. Hmm. One of the last times I played Goldeneye was actually at a local tournament. I was there. Yep. Mm. Yeah. That one of our game stores was was hosting as it turned out i'm still pretty fucking good <laughs> at goldeneye multiplayer point being is that like it's still fun like going back and playing it now it is still a good time if you get you know a couple people together and it is just it is just plain fun is it something that is going to trump like a lot of the other multiplayer out there now no definitely not there's definitely better experiences but you know, if this is what you're going back to and you're choosing to play this game specifically, like you're still going to have a really good time with it. Yeah. Everything you said, I'll echo. But there's a reason why when Halo 2 came out, this this game in Perfect Dark, no one played them anymore. Yeah. I mean, that's valid. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I don't really have anything to add. Like I said, I, I mostly played this casually. It was fun back then. I haven't played it since. So I'll just echo everything you guys said. And speaking of echoing. Mm. We can get into the sound here. What we have in this game in terms of the music and the sound effects. And I'll take this one to start off here. And I'll say I was pleasantly surprised by the sound quality. And that's everything in terms of the music and overall sound direction. Now, there's no spoken dialogue, which is something that Shane said earlier. You don't have any voice acting or voice work, which could be good or bad depending on what would have happened because this seems like one of those scenarios where you get voice actors and they're not the original voice actors and they sound like James Bond at home which okay <laughs> fine overall like yeah the music like is is actually really i think it was like really good for an N64 and just the overall sound quality and what was going on with it i i was taken aback i didn't i did not remember this game sounding this good uh this was also with the sound effects which, look, I don't have surround sound, I have stereo sound, but, you know, you're not going to get too much out of that. But everything sounds like it's supposed to, like the gun effects are really good. The explosions are good. You can hear things in the diff- uh, distance. You can hear things coming up from behind you. Maybe not necessarily because, you know, no stereo or surround sound. Well, no surround sound more specifically. Like the game is does a very good job of give you, giving you audio cues when a threat or danger is near. 
And that's important for a game where you keep on having enemies bullshittedly run up from behind you. You need to know that they're there. Sound direction overall was not expecting it to be this good. I think it's outstanding. I think it's excellent. Even like when you're in that elevator stage near the end and they have elevator music playing. And then as soon as you run out of the elevator, you have more of the, you know, the the, the rock music playing in the background. It's very like having mm-hmm. that environmental music shift was very cute and nice little detail as well. You're not going to hear any bitching from me in terms of sound design. Shane? Uh, yeah, no, I, I would actually 100% agree with a lot of that. This soundtrack fucking slaps, man. Like, I don't I don't even care what anybody says. Every every track in this game is is fantastic. And, and I know and I <laughs> based on the notes, I think Keith is going to have something to say about this. <laughs> but I actually really liked what, you know, Grant Kirkhope did with this. It fits right because you got to remember this is you know, mid to late nineties action movie bond shit. So it's a whole lot of like squealy guitar and butt rock, which fits perfectly. Honestly, I just, I don't know, man, I think he knocked it out of the park. I love this soundtrack and even just like, it's so iconic too. just the pause music. Like when you bring up your watch and like that, like lounge style version of like the theme is just it's so good and then the sound direction also as you pointed out is great you know i think a lot of times on the show we tend to say like yeah everything sounds like it fucking it's it's there sounds sounds fine and i guess that holds true here too but i do think it is a step above i think a lot of the sound effects are are great the guns sound and and this is something that i've tried to communicate before but especially with shooters, sound direction for guns is like of the utmost importance because you get a different feeling from it depending on how it sounds. Like if you use a shotgun and it doesn't sound punchy, it's going to feel like a bad shotgun, even if it's not like you could be doing amazing damage. But like if you're using a gun that just doesn't sound right, you're going to feel like you're not like it's a shitty gun. And they do a really great job here. I think the the ricocheting bullet sound effect will probably just be burned into my brain for fucking ever. I know that that's not like unique necessarily to GoldenEye, but it's just it happens so often and it's so demonstrable in like the the sound mix that I, I will I will never forget that sound effect. And also like the the reactions to being hit, I think, are, are really great, too, because you do you have that like that gasp sound that <gasps> all the time. And um, I just think that adds this extra layer to it. Yeah, it's not annoying Again, to like that immersion. It's not annoying. It's right. not. A, yeah, it's so like Ugh. it's not that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think this might be one of the places that even, uh, you know, that I, I would have to say I have no I have no qualms with it. I think they actually knocked this one out of the park. Keith, I mean, I'm not going to come down on this at all <laughs> i'm just it's like the story i'm i'm indifferent <laughs> I, I i always when it comes to rare i always get grant kirkhope and david weiss mixed up mm. turns out i don't like either of their <laughs> soundtracks when they work on a game and i know this was worked on by like a three-person team as far as the the sound goes and the music the big name is grant kirkhope and i just don't care for his soundtracks it's just not my thing and that's not to say that this soundtrack is bad it's it's not it's fine i'm just i just don't care the one tune i will say the pause screen music for that is a fucking bop that is a great little fucking tune absolutely as far as like the the sound effects go um like with the guns 
I kind of think some of the guns are hit and miss. Mm-hmm. There is like a a rifle you get later on. Like you can probably get them around like in the jungle or something like that. That just kind of sounds like you're ripping paper really fast. Oh, there's yeah. something just kind of weird about it. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. As far as like like in particular, like I love this is going to sound really fucking morbid, but I love the way the bullets hit the enemies. <laughs> there's something about it that's just incredibly satisfyingly wet sounding, but also like it's like somebody's like taking a hammer and just pounding a bag of meat like incredibly <laughs> quickly, especially if you if you're using a like an automatic rifle or something like that. It's as violent as it should be. It's very visceral. Yeah. 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 It's uh, so I mean, yeah, for the most um, for the most part, I'm kind of indifferent. You know, it's it's fine. OK. All right. So before we wrap this up, we're going to give you some fun facts, miscellaneous, something like that. We only have something from Shane because he just went hog wild on what he could find. And we did cover <laughs> most of what we were going to talk about here anyway, of what me and Keith were having in mind. but. In that case, Shane, go ahead. Give us some fun facts about GoldenEye 007. Yeah, sure. I mean, I tried my best to kind of weave these into the conversation naturally, um, but some of them didn't really have a good spot. So that's what our miscellaneous section is for. Uh, So just a couple of things I wanted to point out that I thought were interesting. So development on the game began before the team even had an N64 dev kit available to them. So the initial builds of GoldenEye were actually created and tested on a silicon graphics workstation, which is not uncommon for the time. But the wild thing about it is that they were testing this with a modded Sega Saturn controller. Great Saturn. I think it's pretty crazy. Yeah, exactly. There you go. That's all the confirmation that Chris needs. One thing that we didn't mention in the gameplay, um, and I probably could have figured out a way to get it in there, but There was an idea for a somewhat brief amount of time during development uh, to have the player actually physically pop in and out the rumble pack from the controller as the means to reload their gun in game. Nintendo ultimately shot this down. No pun intended. Of course. Yeah, no. (laughs) Probably because they were like, um, yeah, maybe we shouldn't have kids mimicking reloading an actual gun. Just a thought. Yeah, um, it's not a good mechanic. Either. It's also a shit mechanic. Yeah, yeah. it was yeah. a neat like idea on paper. Right. Because they're just like, yeah, think outside the box. Like, so cool. I'll give them credit for that. But I would have probably hated that more than yeah. I hate motion control on the Wii. So that sounds like something Kojima would have done if he made Goldeneye. Yes, that's <laughs> that's absolutely true. Yeah, we already talked about how multiplayer was kind of this afterthought thing that was this like crazy surprise success for them. But one of the things or a couple things actually for multiplayer that I found pretty intriguing were that there were actually going to be multiple bonds that you could play as from the history of of the the series. They actually had the models created and ready to go and everything. You could have played as Sean Connery, Roger Moore and Timothy Dalton. So those all would have been options to play in the multiplayer maps. But ultimately, that got scrapped due to legal reasons, because they were like, yo, we can't actually use the likeness of these people unless they sign off on it. And they weren't going to bother doing that. So it is still in the game's code, though. So, like, I think you can, like, game shark your way into at least seeing the portraits of them on the multiplayer select screen. So those are actually still in the game. Just to add on to that, there is actually some uh, promotional material that's still out there from when this game came out Mm -hmm. that has some screenshots of that character select screen. Yeah. And actually still kind of snuck it in there 
but <laughs> well, I was gonna say, I believe if I'm not mistaken that I think one of the screenshots of the four four way split multiplayer that's in the actual manual. If you look close, some of those character models are in that screenshot, hmm. too. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, well, it was both. It was both. So you're 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 right, too. It was in some of the promo stuff like early on. And then the other piece about multiplayer is that, you know, we mentioned that not all of the single player maps were ported over to multiplayer. Two of them were going to be. They wanted to have Statue Park and the Cradle in there as well, to the point where, unlike the other single player levels that were just not included at all, the game code actually still has proper item placement locations and all of that work done for both of these levels, but it just wasn't implemented. There are some theories around that for both. One is that Statue Park is, surprise, too fucking dark to see anything. And also, it was just open. It was an open space, so it doesn't really lend itself very well to deathmatch. And the other thing with the cradle is if you've played this game, you know that that's the last level of the game and it is notorious for slowdown in a lot of spots, worse than some of the other levels. And this was just exacerbated by having four people in the map at the same time to the point where you were having like single digit frame rates and it was just like impossible to actually play competitively. So that's probably why those two were not included. Mm. Two other things I wanted to cover here. And yes, Chris is right. I kind of went hog wild on this, but you know, that's probably not entirely surprising. Chris did mention this as well, but there is a full on ZX Spectrum emulator buried in this game's code. And it is bundled with several titles. I think it's like 10, right, Chris? Is that what it is? I think it's 10, something like that. Yeah, 10, 10 games that were also developed by Rare for the ZX Spectrum back in the day. That was when they were still called Ultimate Play the Game, which I'm sure glad that they changed yeah, their name to Rare. Name. It's such an awful name. So I guess there is a way like to basically hack that to to be workable um evidently one of the developers just wanted to see if the n64 was powerful enough to actually emulate the zx spectrum and so that's why they included it they never intended it for it to be like included in the final shipping code but they kind of like forgot to remove it so it's buried you can't get to it through normal gameplay but it's still there and last but not least and this kind of goes towards what i mentioned in the brief history is that rare actually did do a remaster of this game and i think it was around 2007 they got far enough into development that it was effectively done like they had done all the work there's some screenshots out there you can see and actually the the remaster code i think is actually leaked thanks to the shit security that xbox dev had at the time so you can probably actually play some of it as well but it ended up getting canned at like the last minute and i think it was because of licensing issues unsurprisingly And so that's part of why the general sentiment at this point seems to be that we're not entirely sure if Rare's ever or anybody is ever going to have like a true remaster of this game, largely because licensing is just a shit show. And so that's probably what's going to cock block this from ever actually coming out. Rumors, rumors are swirling up again, though. So and they're always going to be there. So if you're listening to this and it has been confirmed or it has been announced that there's a remaster. We're not psychics. We're just saying there's rumors there. There's been rumors forever. There will be rumors forever if it never happens. It's just one of those games that people always say we want to see a remaster of. So, hey, maybe there is one at the time you're listening to this. Maybe there isn't. Who knows? All right. So that wraps up the miscellanea here. 
this brings us to the end of this episode, and we're going to talk about whether or not this game holds up today. Since Keith is our mm. illustrious guest, he will have oh, the no. final word. Oh, no. He'll be going after <laughs> myself and Shane. So just hold on there. Uh, bottle up all that rage, Keith. I know that you've been, mm. you've been saving. I'm going to kick this one off. I'm actually going to say when I came into this episode prior to recording, I was going to say like a slight yes, <laughs> just because like when this game is fun, it's a lot of fun when you're going through and just blasting enemies and you just go through a level really quickly and it and it's fluid and it's it can max out at those points. But then like we got talking about the objectives and all the other things and that big block of gameplay and I. I can't say it does. It's just too much of that time. The controller, the way things have changed, bringing it back into today's modern era, all the things you have to do if you want to do anything beyond playing it on the most basic difficulty. And oh my fucking God, the graphics are so terrible. If there's one thing that keeps me from fully enjoying this game or trying to invest more time in it is just how horrendous these graphics are. I can't play a first person shooter where it looks like the entire screen was covered in graph paper like drawn over like with a pencil or some shit i it's it's it hurts my eyes and i can't play it i can't see anything that's shooting at me when when that happens it, it's a game that i can't recommend today yeah 1997 definitely was a top 10 game easily uh today not so much it's i understand there's nostalgia there there's bursts of fun that you can't have with it and if you've never played it before give it a look just for historical curiosity reasons. But other than that, yeah, it's it's severely kneecapped by elements of its own design of its era. So I'll I'll end it there. Shane. So I, on the other hand, was going to come into this episode fully prepared to say, yeah, this game's a lot of fun. You should you should try it out after having gone back, played through it again the single player campaign from start to finish on the easiest difficulty for sure. Uh, the sad thing about it is that, you know, it's never something that you want to hear from like a, you know, a, a retro game podcast or outlet, but it really does hold true here in that you kind of had to be there. It's it, the game is good and it's, it's, it's held up in this this high regard and i 100% am on board with this game's placement in pretty much like almost any top games of all time list i do not argue with that whatsoever but it is not because it is a game that stands the test of time it is not because it's something that you can go back to right now especially with no prior experience and have just an enjoyable experience. It is on those top lists because of what it was at the time that it was released. So you really did have to be there in order to appreciate what GoldenEye was and what it did. And since I was there, I do have that appreciation for it. I had hours and hours of fun, not only just with the multiplayer, with bunch of my friends ordering a pizza and having a sleepover and just and actually Keith totally unlocked this like memory in my head when he mentioned the proximity minds only thing because I remember loving being a fucking troll and just like throwing proximity minds in a in a hallway when I knew somebody was trying to chase me down 
and then just waiting for them to like walk over them and just explode and die and just laughing in their face. It was brilliant. It was brilliant. I have a lot of really fond memories for it. And I, and like I said, I played through this entire thing on the hardest difficulty in single player and unlocked everything. I don't know how I did that. I had a lot of time on my hands as a kid, I guess, which is all to say that is this something that holds up now? Unfortunately, no, it just really isn't. There are so many other superior options. And to be fair, those superior options had to stand on GoldenEye's shoulders, I think, in a lot of cases. And so credit, absolutely where credit is due. But if you don't have that muscle memory of how to play this game with that N64 controller and you don't have the nostalgia to be able to overlook a lot of the things like the objectively shitty graphics and a lot of the very archaic mission design, you're not really going to have a good time. And then you would might say like, okay, well, what about the multiplayer? Like that still holds up, right? It does. If you can find four people to sit down with N64 controllers and play split screen, then yeah, you might have a decent time. But then again, even then, like there's fucking Halo. Like why, why would you not just go play something else instead? Right. So it pains me to say this as a GoldenEye fan, but this game just has not aged well at all. Mm. All right, Keith. You got the final word. Close it out. Does this game hold up today? I'm really glad that Shane brought up kind of the legacy of this game, because I don't think we really talked about that that much in this episode, because, yeah, first person shooters have existed prior to GoldenEye. But this was on a console and this was the first one that really kind of figured it out, despite how clunky that N64 controller is, which. You guys went to bat for. I'm not going to argue against that. One of my things that I always say is that, yeah, you can get used to the controls. Sure, absolutely. hundred, And I did 100%. It doesn't mean it's good. <laughs> so I'm just going to throw that in there. But I mean, yeah, as far as the legacy goes, I mean, we wouldn't have stuff like Halo or, you know, stuff like even Fortnite or things like that. As far as this game goes, as far as Goldeneye goes, playing it today, I don't think GoldenEye holds up. I think the first person shooter genre has absolutely left this game behind. Again, I played a whole bunch of first person shooters that came out prior to this game that it, in comparison, like they some of them don't do things as well as GoldenEye does. But some of those I found were, as far as the gameplay goes, were a lot easier to jump back into and play in it and have a good time. So I think even compared to some of its contemporaries at the time i i don't think goldeneye was as good as some of those were in 1997 but again the n64 was relatively popular uh, so goldeneye was available for people who had consoles and pcs were becoming pretty commonplace but they were still pretty expensive so i mean this was kind of the easy choice when we talk about you know wanting a re people wanting a remake and stuff like that i don't understand that like i don't understand if people want another licensed game based on a 1995 movie in particular because that seems very selective or do they just want a really good first person shooter because i think really good first person shooters they exist they're out there right now you can go play any modern first person shooter and it wipes the floor with goldeneye which 
in a way, I guess, answers my question, right? Because <laughs> I guess people just really want a GoldenEye game for some reason, <laughs> just specifically GoldenEye. They just really want to recapture that nostalgic feeling that exactly. you'll, you'll never get. Mm-hmm. This is why I came up with my show in a lot of ways. This, I think GoldenEye is the poster child of nostalgia just completely pulling the wool over your eyes. <laughs> it, it, like most people that are yearning to play this game to have a remake they don't have an n64 they don't have a copy of this game which is the only way to play this game mm-hmm. really uh, well shane played on pc but you know that's could be a whole other conversation <laughs> but i wish golden eye was more widely available so people could finally play it and and be like get that stink face going and be like uh, oh uh oh, okay, this is not what I wanted. This is not what I thought this was. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Like I say, it's always, it's okay to like a video game. I don't, I, I don't think you're wrong. I, like I said, I, it's, you know, as much as I hated it at the time, I'll take the Blizzard approach where they said, you think you want it, but you don't. And it's true because a lot of people think they want it, but you really don't. You don't. And, and you know, to the point of it being more widely available, I don't even know if that would, help because it's not even the same experience right like the n64 controller is integral to the experience of this game well if you're playing it any other way it's not the same game you can use the n64 controller on the switch now so if it ever came to that true that service that they have you could very well play it on the n64 controller well my point is like you in order for in order for it to really be a true experience of someone like being like, okay, you think you want to play this GoldenEye game, even if you've never played it before, like here, pl- play it with this controller, because that's, that's what you're asking for is you want this experience. Then, you know, that's, that's how it was back then. Cause like, to your point about me playing it on the PC, that trivialized the game because a lot of the difficulty of the game, I played it and beat it on double O agent difficulty this week on pc because of how easy the game is when you're actually able to aim at things that's the reality of it oh yeah i can imagine i think we've we've talked about this game for for two and a half hours making this one of the longest episodes in the retro hangover library i think this is definitely a game that was important to all of us and this is a game that we all had a lot of fun with when we were kids i mean i don't think anyone's going to challenge or or deny that but you you do come to a point where, look, a lot of retro games do hold up really well. But this is one of those games from that era. This era in particular is notorious for having games that just don't pass muster anymore, whether it be for graphics, whether it just be for a control scheme that just doesn't match up because they're just starting to get used to analog controls or whatever the case might be. And this game is is falling victim. But this was also an era where you got a lot of you're still seeing a lot of creativity where you're still seeing a lot of novel ideas and you're still progressing the industry forward. And I think that's where GoldenEye falls into. You see a game that, as Keith said, really advanced the idea of how to put a first person shooter onto a console, which to this day, outside of maybe sports games, maybe sports games is the largest genre of video games on the market is what everyone is playing and if there's not first person shooter is a shooter of some type which has still evolved in some ways from the first person shooter when it comes to dual analog control and so on and so forth 
Uh, this is where it all started. This is the bedrock. This is where that idea really came to something more than just a concept uh, with the C sticks and the analog sticks and the fact that you could use dual analog sticks if you had two controllers. And not only that, but it was con- it was a console first console exclusive. Exactly. FPS, which at the time was like unheard of, unheard of. So up until that point, you know, you had ports, shitty ports of of shooters. You had Doom on the Super Nintendo, for fuck's sake. Yeah. So up until this point, that was totally unheard of. So again, you know, that it goes back to that place in time. Like you had you had to be there. Best game before this was Turok. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and even yeah, and then that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> but I think I think we've talked about Goldeneye enough for today. Thank you to our listeners. We hope you enjoyed this episode, even though it's a little bit more of a longer one. We do appreciate it. And before we head out, we would love for our guest, Keith, who is also an amazing patron. Thank you very much, Keith, to go ahead and give him the floor so he can plug himself and his show. So where can we find you on the Internet? Well, it's very simple. If you're already listening to this podcast, you know how to find podcasts. All you have to do is search Main Quest Podcast in whatever app you're using, and I should pop up there. And if you would also like to get a hold of me or see what's going on with the show, you can check out my Instagram. That's the main quest. And I don't know why not check out my Twitter. <laughs> why not? <laughs> that is underscore main quest. Are you saying on your Twitter you might find some waifus to discover? You might discover that. You might also find out that it's okay to like a video game every Friday. <laughs> well, except for that one. Yeah, except for that one. Yeah, <laughs> except for this one. Yeah, except for this one. all right and as far as we are concerned uh you know what keith called it out like if you're if you're if you're here you're listening to this since you've you've already found us so hi how you doing all right we hope you enjoyed this episode if you'd like to engage with the show in you know some different ways besides just passively allowing it to massage your brain space then you can do that and we make it simple you just got to go to linktree slash retro hangover that's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash retro hangover and you will be presented with a finely curated menu of buttons that will take you to anywhere you want to go as long as it has to do with us so whether that be our socials or our youtube or our patreon or the merch store if you'd like to support the show in that fashion we would of course be forever grateful also our twitch which chris uh why don't you tell tell the people what happens uh on twitch Every week. Well, every week at Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern time, we massage your grannies. And uh, I'm not I'm just kidding. We play a video game over at Twitch. That's in the hot tub section. You don't choke them. Well, look, it's it's a slow build. We have to we have to progress. (laughs) (laughs) Twitch.tv slash retro hangover. We play games. We don't we don't choke and massage grannies. We play video games uh, while having a great conversation with the people who show up and colorful group of people who are all usually part of our Patreon or Discord. and. Yeah, it's great. Twitch.tv slash Retro Hangover, 9 p.m. Eastern Time on Sundays. And we hope to see you there along with the rest of our community, who is fantastic. So maybe this time we'll still be playing Lunar. We'll find out. Or maybe we'll be playing some GoldenEye 007 on PC and just doing 00 Agent like it's nothing because you can do the things you're supposed to do. Hell yeah. That's what we got. Back to you, Shane. All right. Well, I suppose with all of that being said, until next time. Play with your we're all making out to credit rolled awkwardly joysticks. Awesome.
Shane here with a quick message. You know, the one rule Chris and I have always gone by regarding advertisements is this. It has to be something we use and can personally vouch for. If you know me, you know I love coffee. And Bones Coffee Company has been my go-to for home brewing for quite some time now. Their small batch beans come in an impressive variety of flavors like Mint Invaders from Chocolate Space or Electric Unicorn, which I swear tastes exactly like Fruity Pebbles. And the best part? No added sugar or calories involved, just natural flavors infused right into the beans themselves. Build your own sample pack of five four ounce bags to find out which flavors speak to you, or jump in head first with full 12 ounce bags. They've even got K-Cups. Step up your homebrew game with Bones Coffee by visiting bit.ly slash RHP Bones. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash R-H-P-B-O-N-E-S.